everybody. Welcome to No Point Podcast. This is your host, Jay Lights, along with my co-host, Sedgik, and also today, um, for the first time, we've got Chronofox as well, who is helping us out with commentary. How's it going, you two? It's not the first time. Is it not? Chrono came on for the shiny corner. Well, she came on for the shiny corner, but not to read comments. That's true. <laughs> now she's here to keep Chad in its place. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> it's no longer our problem. No, we're not we're not looking at chat at all. At least I'm not. I think were you were you gonna look at chat still, Cedric? No, I'm, I'm gonna try and uh, keep the reactions natural so that I can scoff appropriately. Oh, I see. <laughs> so that if anybody comments, Krona can tell us. So we are um, we do have Krona monitoring uh, content for us. I think I need to. Oh, there we go. Now that note is up there, everybody can see that that's what's happening. And I just remembered, this is how professional I am, that um, I forgot to open up all my notes. <laughs> oh no. So I don't know what we're talking about, man. I told you, you took too many notes. You didn't even want to use them now. Yeah, yeah. That's what happens when you take too many notes is you're like, oh man, I'm just not going to bother anymore. <laughs> right? Oh, goodness yeah. gracious. So how are you, you two doing today? Corona, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. You've been putting up with that annoying husband of yours? Yeah. Mm. Sounds like a jerk. Yeah, well, you, you're not wrong. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> for no, those I who, don't mean that. For those who don't know that, Corona's my wife. So, and she is very graciously helping us out, which we both appreciate very much. Uh, Cedric, how you been doing this week? Doing well. Doing well. It's had something with your phone this week. Yes. A uh, bunch of uh, changes to my phone that hopefully saved me money in the long run. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Should we, like, name drop whoever it is that you're, like, with? Maybe we'll no. get sponsorship money. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Ting Mobile. Uh, that's who I always see from, like, Legal Eagle on YouTube anyway. Ting Mobile. Ting Mobile. Like, I I'm sure it does well enough, but... It, it always feels a little sketchy to, to hear about it. It's just like, oh, you can save hundreds and hundreds of dollars on your phone bill. Yeah, I don't know why, but every time somebody says that I'll save hundreds and hundreds of dollars when I'm not really spending much more than hundreds of dollars, it's yeah. like, so you're going to give it to me for free? I'm a little confused yeah. as to what your point is here. Oh, man. Yeah, so good. Phone stuff. Awesome. I'm trying to think of anything's happened to me over the last two weeks. It's been two weeks since we did this. Ah, two weeks. Yeah, we decided to stretch it out. Doesn't feel like two weeks. No, it really doesn't. It feels like it was just yesterday. So, I mean, we've been, I've been streaming, and we did, Krona and I have been doing Mario RPG. Yeah, that's been really fun. Yeah. yeah, that's been really enjoyable. Hopefully people have been enjoying watching that as well. So, for those who are listening on the podcast, by the way, um, I do stream this live on Twitch. The channel is Jaylight, J-A-E-L-I-G-H-T-S. We'd uh, invite you to come and listen, and you can make silly comments during the uh, during the proceedings. And Krona may or may not read that comment to us, <laughs> <laughs> so she'll be trying to flag us down whenever uh, whenever a comment pops up. But uh, so far today, nothing. It seems like, huh? Not yet. Oh well. Yeah, maybe later. I, I still feel like you're watching. For yeah, I keep like. <laughs> Flipping my body all the way around. I need to just not look back there. Maybe I can turn that screen off. I don't know. Eventually, we're just going to have to put you on the other side of the room so that you can't probably. even see your monitors. It's probably true. Like, just get me the heck away from it. That'd be the best way to do it. Let's face it. So, let's see. We've, we've got topics that we're going to mm. go through. Um, I felt like something popped up, though, like, just before I walked in here. And I'm trying to remember what it was. It was, it was interesting. 
Oh well, <laughs> I mean, door monster bashed on No Man's Sky this morning. There so. is that. There is that. Did you? That was crazy to me because like it I, was every complaint you had with the game. I know. Just in a video, like every single one of them. It's like No Man's Sky. Oops, I mean Every Man's Sky. I, I mean overcrowded sky or whatever you want to call it at that yeah. point. It was just funny to me that they have a sponsored video from Hello Games, and I'm sitting here thinking, oh, sponsored content from Hello Games. This is going to be a nice you know neutral take on uh, on no man's sky and as it turns out it was actually a very good take on no man's sky because <laughs> that is essentially all my problems if you guys aren't familiar with door monster um go find them on youtube and watch the no man's sky video because i happen to totally agree with uh, their critique if you will i don't know if it's supposed to be a critique or just kind of funny but it is it is weird that you show up now and there's like all these people around and they're like look we've got all this stuff and it's like i mean their original punchline to their first no man's sky video was talking about sorry how long it takes to learn languages in the game yeah the the full punchline being the only thing he learned how to say was how can you justify charging 60 dollars for that pile of shit (laughs) so (laughs) oh my goodness and don't you worry corona we know that phones happen it's fine i turned it off we should be good now (laughs) my phone will probably go off next i'll be honest so yeah and i had like i loved the part i knew i was gonna love the video when the three ships flew overhead and they were like well that's got to be an anomaly that'll probably never happen again it's like no it's like you're parked next to heathrow or something friggin planes all the time next to laguardia next to lax just start i'll just start naming all the airports i can remember offhand which would probably take some time actually anyway good video um i thought it was a really good critique we can't really go a podcast without bashing on no man's sky it's like part of our (laughs) we've managed to branch out a little bit and bash on elite dangerous instead but uh... But you bash on elite dangerous i love elite dangerous and then i bash on it sometimes (laughs) we need to get Krona to play no man's sky so that she can join in i i mean i've watched it being played and you know that's good enough yeah <laughs> i don't that think it's really my kind experience. of game now folks, folks should know if you're not familiar that Krona plays uh pokemon uh to a high level of accomplishment in my opinion um and is a shiny hunter so not as much other stuff sometimes um and plus i'd say Krona, that your tasting games are pretty different from cj's in mind yeah i mean pokemon's my main game um and well i say my main game there's several pokemon games main franchise yeah main but squeeze. also i like life sims like i'll, I'll go through phases like animal crossing animal right? crossing yeah. stardew valley yeah you know stuff like that might get into the sims soon as well so when are you going to play temtem so. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny because Pokemon community is kind of split on that. Some people are like, yeah, Tim Tim's great. Like, it's kind of cool. And the other half yeah. is like, you just copied off a of Pokemon. It's just a Pokemon copy. <laughs> and they're like, well, but that was the idea. And other people are like, yeah, well, it sucks. Yeah, well, it's too much. <laughs> don't do it. I haven't played it, though. And I haven't really seen it played, so I can't really talk on, on it. But Yeah, I haven't seen too much of it. From what I've heard, it is a little bit lacking in features at the moment. Like mm. it, it's still in early access, I think. It was big, big, big there for a while, and then I just stopped hearing about it. Yeah, it was like Pretty everybody was. Entirely. It seemed like everybody was really hyped when it first came out, and then it just kind of yeah. faded. Got to be careful with that hype; it'll get you. Yeah, well, it didn't get them as bad as it's gotten other games. It feels like the, really what we should do is we should have a weekly segment called Hype Train, where we talk about the latest train wreck that came out of somebody something being overhyped because uh, it happens a lot. 
And this week on Trainwreck, Painter's Pets. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> not Painter's Pets. So that is a good transition because we wanted to talk a little bit about personal projects. And CJ Cedric, uh, as many of you will know, is working on a game called Painter's Pets, which I've been helping with music on, um, which is a, a minor thing in my opinion. But uh, yeah, we've. I can't do it. <laughs> True. I asked how I would do it, and then you said, no, I'll do it. Yes, that is what I did. It keeps falling. <laughs> <laughs> is there a... Is it, that thing should be... Is it tightened as much as it can be? We're, we're not having technical difficulties. We're having microphone difficulties. It's technical. It's technically a microphone. Uh, anyway, uh, Painter's Pets, which is what we were talking about, is that game about adorable little blobs that are shooting paint at each other for whatever reason. Is there a lore for this? I don't think there is. Uh, the name implies that there is a painter that owns all of the blobs and they are fighting for some reason. <laughs> I'm the best color. No, I am. <laughs> Things like that. I think that, um, yeah, I think it's a great looking game and you entered, was it, are you in debate at this point or where are you at? It, there is a play test out there i don't remember what it's technically called but if you find mm. the game on steam there is a option to opt into a beta on there and it should mm -hmm. give automatic access to just about everyone and uh it's currently free it'll nice. probably remain free for two three weeks while i uh, collect some data on how yeah. networking is going and if there's no problems then just go to, people to full early access we need to get people playing it i need to get the a mac build put together as well i just remembered that was supposed to be a thing i was doing but uh was it yeah i, th I said well it should be mac compatible because it's unreal you can make it mac really easily you just yeah. need to have a mac to do it which you don't but i do so that would also involve bundling up the entire project <laughs> Sorry, that was my insulin pump. I cannot control that at all. By the way, my my spouse is an android, and she beeps <laughs> and boops a lot, and it's fine. That's type one diabetes for you. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, and for for my part, uh, I'm still working on different sorts of musical things, and I got a hold of a drum machine so I can work on house music. Mm. And this is not a very exciting story. Much like my story from last week, if I'm honest. Uh, Corona is raising her hand. Real quick, Sir Dane said in all caps, I'm here, I didn't miss the notification. <laughs> Just so we all know. Oh, goodness. Sir Dane, Sir Dane jumping in with the comments. Don't worry about it, Sir Dane. You have, we haven't started talking about Sumerians yet, so you know you're good. We only talked about painter's pets, which you've heard all about. I think Sir Dane was trying to miss that conversation, though, so he didn't have to own up to his mistakes. What mistakes? Uh-oh. <laughs> uh dun, 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 dun. You're we, the one that played Do it. we have... No, uh, that's not a good sound for that. No. No. What? In the end, it's just kind of... Oh, no. Yeah, something like that. So, drum machine. I got a drum machine. For anybody who is listening to this who does music stuff, it is a TR-8. It's not the 8S, which has sampling abilities in it. Is just the eight, which means it has um, kind of virtual synth architecture, or whatever, and it's based off of the old Roland synths, the TR eight hundred eight and nine hundred nine, and the seven. And I've also got the seven hundred seven, six hundred six, and the seven two seven all installed, which nobody in this room that I'm talking to right now cares about, but. <laughs> <laughs> they sure were numbers. They sure were numbers. But the thing I'm looking forward to with having a drum machine is you have faders for individual drums. And if you've listened to house music, 
to for any length of time you've probably heard them like fade in and fade out like the snare or the hi-hat or different percussive parts because that's a big part of house music is messing with the drum machine and so that's what the big deal is with getting the tr8 is that it will allow for that sort of thing by the way sir dane says cedric i'm a beacher i don't know what that's in direct reference to but you probably uh Apparently he didn't Point, want you to talk about the mistakes. Faux pas. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, so you got that coming. Yeah. You got a beating coming. You got a beating coming, Cedric. Yeah. It, it's not me that's talking about it though. <laughs> Jay's the one that true. played it. Jay's the one that's going to start the fire. It's true. <laughs> I didn't start the fire. It's been burning since the world was turning, or something like that. That's what I was told. Okay. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I'm pulling all the faders back a little bit because we're all popping here and there. I think we're blowing out the master, but that's okay. We're, I'll figure this out. It'll be fine. Speaking loudly. Mm, awesome. After I just said we're peaking, <laughs> nice. you're, you're trying to blow out my amps. Nice. Um, <laughs> I didn't even yell. House music, right? Was that what I was talking about? Yeah. New drum machine. <laughs> yeah. Awesome stuff. So hopefully I can get some house music together. I don't have much to show for it at this point. Um, it's still not a super exciting conversation, but the one thing I had wanted to say in uh, conjunction with this is if you are looking for a good YouTube channel to watch that does uh, drum machine stuff and, and house music stuff, uh, go look at Captain Pickant, which is spelled P-I-K-A-N-T. Uh, one of my favorite channels on all of YouTube, even if you're not huge into drum machines, because he does all of his stuff um, as a combination of live action and claymation. And it's really, really interesting. So It's an interesting way to do drum kit tutorials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, drum machine, drum kits. Well, and he also but... uses um, popular songs in a yeah. lot of his videos so it makes it a little bit more relatable for those of us who don't know and they do it chiptune style because yeah. like he'll, he was like this last episode he was using a tr6s that was using tr909 sounds which are kind of classic 80s house uh electric drum sounds mm. and then his wife who plays keyboards um had like i believe it was four game boy colors and each one of them had a midi routing going through them and so they were using basically a four four voice um uh nes what's what are the cards called i think they're called simp cards s-i-m-p or is it just s-i-p or s-i-m or sid no the sid cards were from the commodore 64 nobody cares the point <laughs> is they had four game boy colors linked together and they were using it to play classics like they did blue well i guess it's not really a classic but they did blue um it reminds me of the um kitchen appliance orchestra if you've ever yeah. seen that yeah this might be a little bit more advanced than that but it is i don't know the guy manages to use like a clothing iron a an electric toothbrush <laughs> um i think there was a, a receipt printer in one of them that's cool and but yeah the the reason i bring up he was able to play rasputin that's cool so well that's good i'm not trying to i'm not trying to diss that guy it's more that like among chip tuners, um, using the the Game Boy Color is one of those things that a lot of people want to do, but it's mm. difficult to do from a technical level. Oh, yeah. uh, there are MIDI converters, so you can plug your keyboard into uh, a Game Boy Advance, but I don't know how they lined four of them together. Like that to me is very impressive. So, yeah, if uh, if you're into that sort of thing, Captain Pickant is a good place to look. Plus, I'm hoping I'm hoping I can interview that guy at some point because he's really cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to talk about how great shameless his YouTube channel is. Shameless self-promotion here. Shameless self-promotion. Absolutely shameless. Is this going to become one of those podcasts where whenever a guest is on, I can't make any quips towards them? Sure, go for it. I just won't let you be on the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. People are going to hear that, and then they're going to hear you not being on the interviews and think it's because I decided you shouldn't be. 
What I should clarify, I am planning on starting to do interviews. It'll probably be me and possibly Corona helping out. Um, but it's definitely going to be me talking to folks, and we're not sure if Cedric's going to be involved just because the schedules are going to be really wonky. So if that happens, it's not because I don't like Cedric. It's because schedules are weird, and we've only got so much of Cedric's time. It's because I'm an unruly free spirit, and you can't hold me down. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We need sounds for our different segments. Okay, we're going to go into games we played. That seems like a good sound for that, right? Sure. sure. It's missing a note. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> Hitting that special 13th tone in the scale. Um, let's see. We were talking about bunches of games. Um, I had I just talked a whole bunch. So did you get a chance to play Umaranji Generation? That's the one I had on Twitch I, yesterday. I didn't. <laughs> did you see me play it at all? Uh, I opened up the stream and then, you know, the D&D &D group started up. So. <laughs> no, I well, did thanks see for that adding you, a viewer, you, got, at least. Uh, you got seasick, apparently. I did. I did. Can't have anything nice. I really can't. This is why I can't have nice things. It's interesting because it reminds me of a, a game I played. The seasickness that I got reminded me of a game I played a long time ago that was actually a a game that was completely about solving puzzles using synthesizers so like straight up my alley <laughs> like about as far up my alley as you can go and the graphics for the game were based on like a reimagination a 3d reimagination of like 70s vector graphics like really old graphics and for some reason like between those shapes and the the kind of the blur effect they had in that game i was i got sick all the time so but, it, says it warframed him it yeah it did warframe me it's true it, it got me right out of there with i'm forgetting the name of the other game i feel bad because it's one of the it's the only game that i yeah it's the only game that i have any credits in at the moment um because mm -hmm. i was on the volunteer q a team and this is how much i love that game is i forced myself to keep playing but i'd play in little half hour chunks so that i could beta test a little bit and then i'd leave and not play again for another day and then eventually f couldn't even i don't do remember that. it either but it was I like a short remember. one word. Yeah, I feel bad. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have Corona research that. <laughs> oh you, goodness! And if you Frogger. remember, it's not Frogger now. <laughs> Frogger, but it ha it gave me the same issue where it wasn't like some some of the sea sicknesses I get. It feels like my head's kind of swimming, mm. and some just like something makes me feel like I'm just ill, like I'm coming down with the flu or something. Is weird, um, but the graphic style of this game, um, Umaragi. Umaranji generation, pardon me, <clears throat> was reminiscent of the graphics that I saw in that other game. Yeah, now, I, I wonder if it's because there's not really a whole lot of texture on any of the shapes, and it's mostly just the shapes themselves in yeah. that game. So your brain is looking for more detailed information on the models that is and it's there. not getting it. It's that's possible. That could be it. That could be it. It's different than the Warframe problem. Yeah. Um, but it's my, my apparently my constitution is is weak or something like that I don't know um, I'm trying to look it up and all I found was some guy who's a senior implementation engineer <sighs> whoever that is Jesus <clears throat> well it's a good thing we're uh, broadcasting this to twitch because I just realized I'm not recording it really that's gonna make it difficult to uh, clean the audio. Mm, it is gonna. Well, it actually isn't because I actually switched over my recording here to being just uh, studio. Pardon me, stereo. But you it still is. Still gotta deal with the compression. Yeah, but I've got audio 
equipment for doing that. So I knew this was going to happen eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I might just go ahead and real quick hit the record button. And how long has the stream been going? Who wants to tell me how the long the stream has been going? The stream has been going for 24 minutes. For 24 minutes. So Yes. Well, uh, time to redo the introduction. Redo the introduction. No, we can't. It's fine. You know, this was going to happen. Just got to go back to the top of the script. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all got scripts here. Yeah. What I'll probably do is I'll hit one of these sounds and then before and after the sound will be this recording on Twitch and then it'll be the recording that's coming from the other magical thing. So everybody, everybody ready for that? Sure. Everybody ready? Good. Okay, we're magically now on the road Procaster recording. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. Apologies to anybody who happened to notice an audio difference. Most of you probably will notice a short difference. So I, I just realized we'll I did forget. a visual gag, gag on a podcast. Yeah, I'm doing that all the time. If it makes you feel any better. He did the Home Alone. Oh my goodness. Like hands on your cheek sort of thing. Serdane said con mod negative four. I don't know what that means. Yeah, uh, so that would mean that Jay rolled a two? No, a three in your constitution. Really? Oh, okay. Oh, are we talking about, okay, for the for me getting sick to my stomach? Yeah. Presumably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. my constitution, like, my that was my dump stat, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Um, I, I think I probably put a six in there. Yeah, so. I mean, you, you, you <laughs> do get totaled by that spicy substance known as bread. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that thing that is so hard for so many people to eat. Shellfish will kill me. Bread will kill me. Will, will make me feel really sick anyway. Yeah, I don't have the greatest constitution. I'll be honest. So, anyway. Um, but yeah, Umaranji Generation, just for anybody who was curious and has been looking at the game, it's a great game. Um, I, I don't regret playing it. I, I wish that I hadn't gotten seasick. But it was a lot of fun. It was cool because it was... Um, based in new zealand and mm -hmm. i didn't quite get all of the like it's environmental storytelling and it's actually pretty good environmental storytelling i felt like i was really kind of getting a sense of what happened by just kind of wandering around from place to place to place um you know it was a big attack by some giant monster i'm forgetting what's the japanese term for that kaiju kaiju is a <laughs> i studied japanese history and i don't know this but anyway kaiju so th there was a there was a massive kaiju and like there's all these people who have been affected by this and the un's there for some reason and i didn't figure that part out but there's a lot of poverty as a result of all the things that are happening around them and i remember there was one level where there was a giant hand just laying in the street and they wouldn't let me anywhere near it to take pictures so but uh, so it's interesting do you want details on that no i'll watch the errant signal video but uh yeah. it, it, it's i don't a very... want i don't want spoilers just because if anybody who's listening to the podcast wants to play it i don't want spoilers it, it's a very good um through line that's that's in that game i will say that um the definition of the title is something that i'm debating on bringing up because it is a little bit spoilery but it's mm. also very just key to what the game is well i say go ahead and bring it up we'll just we're a little bit little bit of spoilers here plug your ears for the next little bit if uh, you don't want any spoilers at all so the concept of umarangi generation and i'm not 100% sure if it's a direct translation, but the, the intent behind it is that the Umarangi generation is the last generation. Oh. Um, and it's just this concept that eventually, at some point in the future, there is going to be a generation that is born 
that will be the last one. We might not know that they're going to be the last one, but they will be the last. Yeah, that's going to have to happen eventually, I guess. Yeah. I wasn't imagining giant kaiju would be the reason why, but... But it, it was a... The core theme of it was kind of working around how people would respond to that, you know, how those people live out their lives. Yeah, and it's been interesting... Uh, the levels that I went through kind of do speak to that because that is the tone mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and the music was really, really good. I ended up having to turn it off because it was a bit much for me. Um, probably because I was starting to get seasick, <laughs> but, uh, and plus music, music can have a huge impact on me emotionally. Right. And the music in that game is very, very good at setting a tone. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I recommend Numeranji generation for how much I played. I'd get, what, what should our measurement be for this week? What random thing? Uh, blue bottle jellyfish. Blue bottle jellyfish. I definitely give it four point five out of five out of the the amount that I played uh, in blue bottle jellyfish. <laughs> half a jellyfish? Come on, man. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> which Poor half? jellyfish? Um, the one with the tentacles on it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, um, good game, and I'd recommend people give it a look. So uh, yeah, so that's one that I wanted to talk about. I'd also wanted to just quickly touch on on Dirt Five which is a game that came out probably a year ago now. Um, it's just a rally game that is kind of arcadey, but kind of realistic. It's kind of one of those in-betweeners. And when it was released, it was one of those ones that wasn't really complete. And, you know, they had a lot of really strange problems. But the thing that probably pissed me off the most was the difficulty didn't make any sense. You'd have some races that you would do where no matter what difficulty you put it on, you could put it on the hardest difficulty level and you could beat them really quite easily and then you'd have other levels that you'd put it on and you put it all the way on the easiest possible setting and you could not win Mm. and the funny thing is is they're actually different bugs because i actually took the time when i was playing the game to try to figure out like what on earth is going on here like why is this happening if i took the the ones where i'm forgetting what the actual names of the classes were but there was one that was like off-road like suvs basically and I could always win that even on hard. Like, I'd crank up the difficulty and I'd just head out and I'd still win by a good, what, 400, 500 meters or something like that. I'd really take them apart. And uh, when I put it on really easy with those vehicles, I'd win by like half a lap. So there was scaling happening. It's just that the hard wasn't hard enough. Hmm. But then there was another class, which was sprint racing. And that uses sprint cars, or they're sometimes, this probably isn't the politically correct term anymore, but they're sometimes called midgets as well. And they're like little tiny cars with like 900 horsepower, and they do dirt oval racing. And you could put it on the most, on the easiest setting in that game, and you'd lose every friggin' time. Unless you were really, 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 really talented, which I was not. Um, and what I noticed with that, though, is if I turned up the difficulty and went from very easy to easy to medium to hard, the times of the people you were racing against wouldn't change at all. Yeah. So it was weird because, like, with the truck racing, it was scaling. So, like, they'd go slower when you were on easier settings. Um, but it was still too easy to beat. And then with the <laughs> with the sprint racing, for whatever reason, it, it just was completely broken. The slider just did not affect anything as far as i could tell um so happy to report that i tested both those things and they're fixed (laughs) the the game is now pleasantly challenging when you have it on hard um i actually was to the point where i was actually having to pay attention to whether or not i was breaking in time for turns 
so that I wouldn't lose positions by, you know, dragging the car too far to the outside, and then they'd just pass me because I was taking the long route. Look, if you go fast enough in a straight line, you'll eventually curve around the earth and make it back to the start line. You've been playing KSP a little bit, haven't you? (laughs) It's not how it works here, CJ. (laughs) I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that. So if anybody really thought that Dirt 5 was a, was a interesting idea, I mean, they couldn't fix... They've got a, a subplot going the entire time that has some of the most bored voice acting I've ever heard in my life. It's like they found some guy who was a really talented voice actor and said, hey, could you come in here and just kind of... Just kind of read these lines. Stop, don't do it. You'll doom us all. Yeah, not quite that good, but... Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> it was just more like he had a really solid... I'm here to do a commercial sort of voice. Like, you could hear him saying something like, over the last seven years, Chevy trucks have been the most competitive trucks every year. Just something like that. You know, very conversational sort of tone. But not the sort of person who you want to hear saying, hey, I see that you've got about two or three people who want to challenge you to a race. Uh, Have you considered taking up those challenges? It's like, thanks. Thanks, Ted. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I don't know. Corona, what do you think of all that? Looks like you're giggling. Oh, no, I was just putting my head in my chin because it was more comfortable. Oh, I see, I see. Um, have you, can that chair be leaned back? Are you, did you want it to? I'm okay. Okay, maybe we can work on that during the break too, so, or something like that. Anyway, um, yeah, so the voice acting is not fixed. Um, they still have Donut on there, which uh, not everybody's into Donut. I'm not into Donut, so, you know, but you can always turn all the volume off and just completely ignore them. Yeah. And then the game is pretty fun to play, in my opinion. I haven't gotten into the, they added a cash shop. I haven't gotten into it. I don't know if it's super nasty, but just it buying the... Is. It's cars. It's always going to be nasty. Well, I mean, usually this particular developer... Oh, is it is it Take-Two? I can't remember who it is. I don't think it's Take-Two. Take-Two screws up a lot of stuff. I can't remember who it is. I feel really stupid. Anyway, um, the other games I've played with them, they usually just have cash shops that sell items straight for cash, and it's not loot boxes or what have you but uh all the same um they did add a cash shop and they added a, a couple of the features for like multiplayer which i haven't tried yet but the game really does look a lot better so anybody who thought dirt 5 looked good go give it another try if you already own it if you don't it might be worth picking up on steam at, uh, on sale at this point um i don't know if i'd pay full price for it still so that one i'd still give like a solid um probably three out of five uh what was it blue bottle squiddies Sure. Well, you got to tell me what they are again. Blue bottle jellyfish. Blue. You know the things that you we're got just in gonna trouble go, for on Umarangi Generation. We're just going to go with jellyfish. But no, specifically blue bottle. Blue bottle jellyfish. Three out of five blue bottle jellyfish for Dirt 5. Okay, that's <laughs> fine. Uh, at this point, early like when it was first released, I'd maybe give it a 1.5. So that's a bit of an increase. So yeah. I know that yeah. most journal journalism places have a big thing about not re-reviewing games. I... I don't know. I'm games get improved as time goes by. Unfortunately, that's just how it works. So they I think also get ruined. This is true. the The score can go in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> the score can definitely go down. Hmm. Let's see. So on here next, we've got Yoku's Island Express, mm. which was one that you had brought up. Yes, I had. Cool. Moving on. Just kidding. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, Yoku's Island Express is a. It's a very fun game. Um, it's not very intense. I'm not super far into it. There are hints of like 
Lovecraftian horrors going on in the background. But the core premise of the game is that you are a roller beetle who has made their way to a new island to become the postmaster. Nice. So you go around delivering things to people on this tropical island. It's nice that they've made you an animal that is supposed to be able to roll into a ball. Yes. That's very helpful. Uh, and uh, you traverse the island via pinball. <gasps> that's the that's the twist that I think is interesting. I haven't played yeah. this yet, but when you mentioned that, I was like, wait, so you pinball it around? Yeah. That's crazy. And uh, one of your core abilities that you get, you get like a little party trumpet with like the little streamers that come out of the end. And, and you just go around dooting people. and Like that? Yeah. <laughs> Not really. More like the free. <laughs> I don't know that sound anywhere around here. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's very fun. Um, as you go through, you get more and more abilities to get to new places, and mm. you unlock paths that you've that you've seen before but haven't been able to do. And it's got a really good soundtrack, I think. Nice. And it's more or, or less just all around a very chill game. But like I, it's obviously a little bit intense at times because pinball, but yeah, you know, pinball not, can get intense. It's not been like. Um, Does it use kind of the the pinball tropes that you'll see sometimes? Where like, because originally pinball games like they'd try to have you bounce the ball off of particular things to kind of progress a story, yeah, quote unquote. They got like the little spinner ones that you send it through the path and it spins a little. Uh, piece of paper tablet or whatever has anybody has anybody told the people of this island that rubes goldberg machines are not actually the best way to get things done you say that but you're sitting next to a just a modifiable one right now which which one am i which one are we talking about all of them all of the computers (laughs) around me fair enough um no it's it's a good game though um it can get a little bit intense but it's never quite like if you go to a real pinball machine mm-hmm. where it's just like blaring sounds and lights flashing, it, it's never that bad. It, it's overall um, quite chill. Okay. Sounds cool. How many blue bottles? Blue bottles? Um, in the game, I haven't met a blue bottle jellyfish yet. <laughs> <laughs> so with that detracting from the score, it's going to <laughs> wind up three blue bottles. <laughs> It's going to wind up being probably a four and a half. Four and a half? No, we've got a couple of really good games we're talking about. Mm. Umaranga Generation and Yoku's Island Express are getting pretty pretty beaming reviews. Um, let's see. Oh, gosh. We've got two more to talk about, and both of them are things that I want to talk about forever. So this podcast might be three hours long today. Mm. Um, it's your fault, not mine. Uh, probably. The first one I wanted to talk about was Sumerians, which not just because... I played it recently at uh, Sir Dane's suggestion, but because I found out some very interesting things about a game called the Sumerian game, which I believe might be one of the predecessors to this. Um, well, it definitely is one of the predecessors to this, but let me talk really quickly about the game Sumerians, and then we'll get over to the Sumerian game, which is a different title. Um, but the Sumerians was really interesting. Um, it's kind of a basic, uh, it's, well, it's a one-man team putting the game together, doing all the coding, and you can kind of tell because it's really basic in terms of assets and menus and things like that. Kind of what you'd expect from a really small game. Yeah. Um, but it has a really interesting concept in the sense that you have private versus public industry. So you can set up zones for 
um, farming and such. But you can also set up state land. And you kind of have to balance those against each other. There hasn't, like, I have, I didn't play it super a lot along. Um, I do know that the way that you advance ages is by getting a wall all the way around your city and then upgrading the wall with further tech. Mm-hmm. And the tech is paid for with, um, uh, with, with wheat that you, or with grain that you are harvesting from your fields. And yeah, I know that the fields, uh, like you have to pay your employees who work in the state fields, but the free fields, the ones that you just are letting people build, you take a tax percentage depending on how much influence you're able to exert on them, which is based on your control over the local religion. So yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting little set of balances. I think as a core concept, it is a super cool idea. I, I can't really throw my weight behind it just because it's so not done right now Mm. um but the idea is really awesome and if you're the sort of person that likes to go and throw money at projects to get them uh, to go along because they're good ideas and you like city builders go look at sumerians it is a very interesting concept now when i was looking into sumerians to like find some information about it this last week um i ran into another game called the sumerian game now this is actually part of a larger thing i was looking into uh, that had to do with, oh, the, what's his name? The person who passed away, passed away just yesterday. Sir, sir something. Anybody want to help me out with this? I don't remember. You told me, but I don't recall. I'm not in your brain. You're not in my brain. I'm going to do some really quick research myself. Um, uh, everybody can probably hear me typing. Oh, yeah. Uh, was it Sinclair? It might have been. Uh, Clive Sinclair. So Clive Sinclair made the ZX Spectrum gaming computer. I hadn't really been aware of it before this. Elite, the very first Elite game, you know, the current one being Elite Dangerous, the very first Elite game was actually made on the ZX Spectrum, which this is interesting. Um, I was not aware of this because I'm in America and I was just not exposed to any of this growing up, but this computer that they built, the ZX Spectrum, at the time, Apple and I think, was it Commodore, both had computers that were on sale in Britain. Uh, the the Apple II, which was on sale at the time, cost the rough equivalent of what is 5,500 bucks today. So you could either buy a car or you could buy a computer. And clearly, you know, that was something you were only going to buy if you really wanted to make an investment in it. The cool thing was Clive Sinclair, Sir Clive Sinclair, who passed away yesterday, um, or two days ago at this point, he made some really cheap computers. Uh, they were called the ZX series, and the ZX Spectrum was probably the most popular. It sold for what is the rough equivalent of about 300 bucks these days, which is pretty cheap these pretty days, cheap. too. <laughs> like It was like 70 pounds at the time. Um, it's crazy and it got, it spread all over the place. And the thing that was really nifty about it is it was architected in a way that made it very open. So you could easily program it if you wanted to. So you had a huge movement. But open source design is yeah, actually it's... cheaper to mass produce. <laughs> it's crazy, but it's true. Um, but it's also buggy as I'll get out. Anyway, the point is, mm. the point is, um, so this computer was used by a lot of English programmers, to uh to basically be what did they call them uh they were bedroom code warriors or something like that but they were like one man shows predominantly men one man shows a few one woman shows who would just make games and throw them out there for other people to to buy on on tape cassettes of all things back on back in the cassette days uh elite was one of those games 
so it started that game started in 1983 because of uh clive sinclair's uh zx spectrum and so i just wanted to bring that up i know that anybody listening to this is probably in the u.s and uh sir clive sinclair made some incredible contributions to british gaming which led to such things as oh i don't know the grand theft auto series so Mm. if you happen to like games that come from england of which there are many yeah just a small series just a small series um but yeah just uh unfortunate that i mean he was he was older but uh, a huge contributor to to gaming history and while i was looking into him i decided to kind of look into firsts like who made the first game because as i was reading different folks commenting on clive sinclair they were talking about like oh well you know like because of him england had the first this and that and the other thing and i was like i wonder who actually made the first video game that we're aware of do you know do you know who made the first video game that we're actually aware of? I don't remember the guy's name, but... I'm trying to remember the title of the first video game. I want to say it was Missile Defense? Nope. No, it's far before that, actually. And the reality is, is that the first games that were ever programmed on the computers were usually demos, and we have... We don't have them anymore. Like, they'd program them because they showed off the hardware really well, and then they'd delete them when they delivered the computer. They were literally writing these things and then deleting them repeatedly. The first one that w- that we know of... There were ones before this, but the first one that we know of was called uh, Birdie's Brain. And it was just, the name of the computer was was Birdie's Brain or something like that. And it played tic-tac-toe. It was, it was pretty simple. That's the first one we're aware of. We're pretty sure there were ones before, and that was in 1950. So that's, that's quite some time ago. And the guy was Canadian. So you can blame video games on Canadians, I've decided. <laughs> you like that, Krona? Mm-hmm. Now, I will point out, because you're making funny faces, and that's totally fair, because I've been trying to follow up on um, gaming history for the last decade, and it's changing all the time, because I feel like these days, gamers are starting to realize, hey, we've got a history, and we should be trying our best to uh, record it, you know, and try to get it so that it's something that everybody is, is aware of. And as a result, it's evolving all the time. So that's the earliest one that we're aware of at this exact moment in time. When was that? 1950. Okay. So, but there were military simulations before that, and there were definitely games before it. Like, they know there were games before that. We just don't have the games themselves, like, any real record of them. So we just know that was the first one that people are really aware of. Um, But that could change in a year's time when they dig up yet another one that's even earlier. So, you know, don't hang your hat on that one. It'll probably end up being like something on the ENIAC. Maybe maybe some rogue engineer, electrical engineer, made something on the ENIAC. I guess it also depends on where you want to draw the line. Well, that's that's the other place where you can get into a zillion arguments. It looks like uh, Birdie the Brain didn't really use a visual display. Yeah, but who cares? You could play a game with it. That's all I care about. Okay, but then you could say that, <laughs> like Matchbox computing and stuff like that. Yeah, you is could. stuff that probably this is, existed this is, long this before. This is the problem: is, is the... a clockwork automaton enough yeah. of a computer for you? Because then we're going back into like look BC time. I think that the first time somebody threw a rock and the rock moved of its own volition, you know, and, and it had gravity effects on it, that was clearly a video game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, you you can definitely like parse in a million ways and i'm not yeah. trying to say like birdie the brain was the first video game because it's not for a zillion reasons there were games before and it's hard to say that it was necessarily a game these things evolve as time goes by we all know this yeah i, I would probably draw the line um i think it was a, a few years after birdie the brain uh, mm-hmm. based on the wikipedia page that i saw 
but it, it was the first one that incorporated a monitor with it. Yeah. And that's to me a useful delineation between stuff that was using built in logic because board games do that. Yeah. Uh, to stuff that is fully automated outside of player input. Fair enough. Um, I don't know. Like it's, we could probably go back and forth on this for a long time, but we probably wouldn't because I don't particularly care. I guess, <laughs> but uh, they're both they're both good achievements. It doesn't matter which one was necessarily yeah. the first quote unquote game. But one thing that I did find out um, was about a game called the Sumerian Game, which is a game that was developed in 1962, and the reason it was developed was a group of teachers in New York um, who were backed by the government and had all this sort of stuff. They'd found out. Do you need help with your little thing that you're resting your arm on there? <laughs> Use it as a weapon. <laughs> I'm going to get smacked around over here. So the Sumerian game was developed in 1962 uh, by a, a group of educators in New York who had been keeping an eye on a market simulation that was being used in colleges to teach business concepts for free market economics. Um, for better or worse. So they were they were looking at this and they're like, oh, we could use this for grade schoolers. And they're like, well, yeah, but if we're going to do it for grade schoolers, it needs to be way more approachable. And so they came, up, they came up with the idea, and this hadn't really been done before. They came up with the idea of, hey, maybe what we could do is we could have a small town. And in that little town, you have several turns. This kind of, ends up kind of a board game sort of thing. You have several turns. And in those turns, you take actions to either deal with food, grain, or the people who are in your city, or to build things, or to research technology, or whatever, to improve efficiency. Um, and you do this turn by turn by turn. And then via having the rules based on actual economic principles, um, the kids will learn how economics work. And that's where the Sumerian game came from was that thought and what's interesting to me um was the game was completely designed by somebody named mabel addis and she was apparently as far as anybody can can find was the first woman to design a game mm. but you know first woman to i don't know whenever i hear like first and then we have a little qualifier it always feels kind of not right for some reason to me because it's like it almost yeah. feels demeaning it's like oh well you finally made it it's like oh and great but oh, go ahead don't want to diminish her accomplishments or anything like that because everyone deserves their accomplishments but I, I think it's also important to remember that um original computing mm -hmm. and stuff like that had a pretty even split between male and female Really, really, yeah. On it. yeah. And then for whatever reason, marketing decide, oh, it's a boys club. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's something we could probably go a long time on, but you're correct. Yeah. Um, but she was, she was one of the first women to do that sort of stuff. But probably more importantly to me personally is that's the first city builder that anybody's aware of at the moment. So yeah. the first city builder was designed by Mabel Addis. And I just want everybody to remember that because it's a name that's almost been completely lost to history. She had, she had a master's degree in education. She had a major in ancient history. Um, now she wasn't, she didn't come up with the concept entirely on her own. It was a committee decision. She was the one that designed the it game. It never is for, for yeah. games. Well, and especially when you've got a huge education system that's 
funding this whole entire thing. Yeah. The reason why they ended up using Sumerians is because originally they just wanted to do an ancient society and they were going to use Greece. But somebody said, can we use Sumer instead? And they're like, why would we use Sumer? And they said, well, because everybody gets all focused on these Greek societies. But there were societies before the Greek societies, like the Sumerians, who were very important. And they're like, okay, we'll put it in Sumer then. So that's yeah. why it became the Sumerian game. So that's the first thing is that she developed she designed because she had a coder who helped put it together mabel Addis. mabel Addis. mabel Addis put together the first city builder which is just really awesome but there's a second there's a corollary two years later in 1964 um she went about redesigning the game a bit and she decided that since the game was being aimed towards children she wanted the game to be uh, more approachable so she developed what to me is one of the most notable traits of most city builders I've played, which is she made it so that instead of just dealing with raw numbers, there was an advisor. And the advisor's job was to tell you how your town was doing. And it's like, wow, I've seen that in so many city builders that it's ridiculous. And you, you even see it in the Civilization series yeah. as well. That all started with her. And it was the first time, again, that anybody's aware of that there was a character, really, that was talking to you. So it's supposed, and again, this is where things get really like, maybe, maybe not. Um, but it's the, it's the first time anybody is able to find where there was a character that really was had dialogue that was being used to communicate with the player in kind of a human conversation-ish sort of way. So she's often touted as being the first game writer as well. So Mabel Addis, somebody who we have all forgotten, who just happened to design City Builders and may well have been the first game writer as well and nobody's really heard of her. It's like, we all know who Sid Meier is. Like, why don't we know who Mabel Addis is? Anyway. Because Mabel Addis didn't staple her name onto every product well, maybe, she was ever involved maybe with. Maybe she should have been greedy like that. <laughs> I don't know. She was fifty. She was 52, I think we figured out when she designed this game. Like, she was um, well into her career. So, yeah. And she taught in, like, this little rinky-dink school in the middle of nowhere. And it was like, it's just crazy. Um, but, yeah, she, she designed that. So that's, cool. that's why we end up talking about the Sumerians today. Um, Sumerians, the, the modern game is loosely connected, uh, not just because it's a city builder, but because it kind of deals with some of the fundamental themes of the, Sumer the Sumerian game. Um, what? Building a city in Sumeria deals with Sumerians? Well, it was the grain thing. Like, they, they both had a focus on grain. Grain was important to both games. I imagine it was very important to the Sumerians as well. <laughs> Probably was. You make an excellent point. Anyway, Mabel Addis. Everybody remember Mabel Addis developed the first city builder and possibly the first game writer that there ever was and has been mostly lost to history. There are a few articles out there about her, but like, man, she needs to just be one of the people that everybody knows about. And there's several more from that era that we also are learning more and more about as time goes by. It's, it's kind of an exciting time to be learning the history of computer games because we keep digging up new stuff all the time so kind of yeah. cool kind of cool keep losing more stuff all the time too yeah unfortunately all the because all the really early stuff was just deleted <laughs> yeah there's so many games out there like games that were produced published shipped out on physical things that just are lost to history because people are like well it's it's a game it's nothing special it's not important we don't need to keep this it's like <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if the, I bet the first oil paints were probably like that too. Oh, well, this is a nice looking canvas. Why'd you put it on a piece of canvas? I don't know. It just seemed kind of fun. I'll just throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> we can burn this in the winter. It'll be, it'll be good, good kindling. Yeah. yeah, probably nonsense like that happened. So the last, the last game of the games that we played this last week is Yakuza Like a Dragon, which you didn't play. I played, um, but you I, have seen. I've seen a friend play through it on stream. And it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, that's a word. It is pretty cool, darn it. <laughs> I like that game a yeah, lot. I, I don't know that I would use the word cool to describe that game just because it revels so much in pure geek and nerd shenanigans. It's cool. <laughs> you just bumped your microphone and knocked it all over the place. I know. I think that the mic is not properly attached to the boom arm. Let's see. Yeah, that's a problem. Okay. Sorry, everybody. It's not working. I'll just do this for the rest of the time. No, I just put it back in there and we'll just deal with it. Gosh darn it all. Darn thing. What about there? Yeah, sure. All right. It doesn't matter. Just don't breathe on it. <laughs> At all. Don't move. Don't breathe. Anyway, Yakuza Like a Dragon. Um, it, it does go over the top, um, but... I really like it, so yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> I just don't know that cool would be the word that I used to describe it. It is so far into what I grew up with being the exact opposite of cool. <laughs> I love it for that. It's absolutely amazing that you just have this game where you're playing a, a Japanese traditional RPG, except your spells are breathing alcohol flames on yeah, people. Yeah, and I love how they're like in their early 40s. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "Well, we're we're told to be heroes," and they're like, "Oh, come on, we can do this." And they just kind of, man, it's just it's fun, it's invigorating because I'm 38, so I, yeah. I see these people in their early 40s going out and being heroes, especially in the context of like Japanese culture, where everything that is really produced in video games and anime, which are kind of the two big exports that make it to the U.S., mm -hmm. they're all aimed at that like 12 to 18 demographics so all the heroes well, tend to be pretty young it's hard to know because the stuff that gets imported to the u.s from japan is often aimed at teenagers but there's a yeah. lot of material that's created in japan that is act cut manga gets this all the time yeah. where people think that manga is well they're comic books so they're for kids right so the only yeah. stuff that's ever imported <laughs> from japan is but general well, that, that when i was growing I up at least with the stuff yeah. that makes it to the u.s the because. stuff that makes it to the u.s is usually aimed at so that makes yakuza kind of an exception and i've i really have been enjoying just the general attitude the writing's been great the setting's really good it's just amazing um but i do love how they made it turn-based and I, did, did you hear about how that started off i didn't so the way that they decided to do turn-based it, it started off as like they were they everybody knew a new yakuza game was coming and so on april 1st everybody's favorite they did an announcement where they did a trailer showing that it was a turn-based game and they're like haha just a joke we'd never do a turn-based game but everybody was like but but it looks so cool <laughs> they're like okay <laughs> then they made turn-based i feel like um it's, it must it's have been a very interesting turn-based because it's yeah. not it's not pure static waiting for people to, like no, everyone's it's very like it's very dynamic people are moving around the, the map actually matters yeah yeah i do have to say i have to go back to my stupid joke that i was going to say that it felt like to me because they must have had the demo ready otherwise they wouldn't have been able to make the footage they made so it must have been something where like somebody had said in a design meeting we should we should make this turn-based and people were like no nobody nobody'd play it we've got all these yakuza games that are action fighting games and no, nobody'd play it. it's like well let's just look i've got an idea so they make the trailer and they put it out on april 1st and like haha just kidding uh and unless <laughs> <laughs> unless you all think this is cool normally that's yeah. a joke that chrono likes over there but she's <laughs> she's focused no, I'm listening. <laughs> oh, we're just there not as funny as we think we are. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. we probably aren't. <laughs> no, nah, it's I can't convey a smile over the microphone. 
<laughs> it's the laughing you gotta do, see? Yeah. But uh, yeah. So my bad. So it's it, to me, it's an interesting story of how they got to turn-based. I'm assuming it was always part of the plan, but they were trying to gauge interest, and interest yeah. was high. And you're correct that the way that turn-based happens is really nifty because everybody's moving around so much it doesn't really feel static so much and plus you can kind of affect things out of turns there are some moves that will affect groups depending on where they're located and since you're moving around during the fight that means that there is some sort of temporal and effect if there's like a, big a traffic cone or something between you and the opponent yeah. when you go in to do the attack your character will actually kick the traffic cone at the enemy or before. pick it up and murder him to death with it or whatever yeah. so yeah the, the old school mechanics is it's funny to me that I've been playing Mario RPG on stream with Krona, and the mechanics of Yakuza and the mechanics of Mario RPG are so ridiculously close to each other when it comes to turn-based combat that it's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have the characters moving around in Mario RPG, but you have a lot of the similar things. Like, the fights are really quick in Mario RPG. They're really quick in Yakuza. A lot of the attacks, you have modifiers where if you can hit a button, it'll power up the attack. That's true in, in both of them. Um, there's not really a lot of HP involved, uh, at least HP versus how hard you're hitting. So, like, there's there's a lot of things and you, that are similar between the two, which is just, I kind of wonder if somebody really liked Mario RPG and was like, we could, we could do this in a modern game. Come on, guys, it'll be yeah. fun. You know, yeah. I have to imagine. So somebody out there likes Mario RPG at least as much as Krona does, right? Good. <laughs> or That's a person I want to Superstar I Saga. Um, That'd be yeah. good. No, there are no other games. There's Mario RPG and there's Yakuza and that's it. Or, you know, Paper Mario. Oh, yeah, those other ones. <laughs> changing the definition of games to suit your whims now, are we? <laughs> First, Birdie the Brain was a game and now... <laughs> now only these two are. <laughs> so Yakuza, like a dragon. Um, the other thing that we talked about was... Ah, we don't really want to go into that today. Um, it was a fun topic yesterday, just trying to talk about how... Mafia games are way too serious in the U.S. and they can be far more silly in Japan. And there's reasons for that. And I'm just going to let people listening imagine what those differences might be. <laughs> yes, just remember that we saved all the good content for the discussion before the podcast. It's true. It's true. Do you know what else I forgot to do this whole entire time was actually turn on the chill hop that was supposed to be going in the background? So I've completely, for I've completely forgotten. Like I'm a really bad podcast host today. Oh yeah, there we go. Mm. I'm remembering now and it's good because we're just about to go on break because that is <laughs> that is the end of our games we played segment which I think that's the Brain. sound we're using with it um, anyway we're going to take a short break and after that short break we will be back um, with some talk about games that we are excited about that are coming up and then probably have a big rambling conversation about yet another game so that'll that'll probably be about well, you'll find out if you hang around. So we'll talk to you in just a couple minutes, folks, after this 5-10 minute break. Bye. Hey, folks. Looks like we're back. Um, yeah, oh, I need to change the scene. Everybody watching at home, listening at home is like, what are you talking about? Okay, there we go. Now people know that we're back just by looking at the Twitch thing. And it looks like I'm still recording, so that's good. That's always the the optimal thing. And now I've unmuted my, uh, my co-host, 
Corona, how's it going over there? Good, good. We're, we're hyped for the second half? Yeah. Second half hype. Hype. And Cedric is busily trying to get um, chat up on his phone because Corona's going to need to leave pretty soon here. So we're going to have Cedric watch chat because if I watch chat, I can't focus at all. And I lose track of the conversation. So we're going to let Cedric do it because he's uh, well-practiced in ignoring people. Did you say something? <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, is like with how much he was paying attention to his phone while I was talking there, that seems pretty accurate to me. I think he was actually ignoring me. Um, trying to get the level right on this, this chill hop. Man, I've been a terrible producer today. I forgot to hit record. I didn't have the chill hop going. It's fine though. I think we'll we'll probably all survive. So, let's see. Um, moving into the second half here, we've got a few things to go over. Uh, the first thing we'd wanted to talk about actually was we have kind of a little little board game corner going on, which I need a which sound should that be? I wonder. Is that a good sound for board games? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> It's more like a mystery sound, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. This is the shiny sound, and we're not doing shinies or, or today. Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! That's that's the board game sound right there, right? That's the board game sound. So um, let's see. We're gonna go with uh, we were, we played a game called Root this last week. That is the the big thing. Um. Krona was there. I was there. Cedric was there. Krona, what did you think of Root? Um, it's a very interesting game. I will say that it's... The playtime was longer than I expected it would be. Which is interesting for me to say because I'm not used to playing long, long board games. How long did we play it for? Um, it's about two hours each time. I think it's part of that's because be we, we, we don't know the rules very well. We don't, and... That's something that we have to keep checking on, but definitely um, stuff that will probably get better with repeated plays, but there is a lot there. But I thought it was interesting. I, I haven't tried playing any of the other teams. I played the no, cat. You, you played as the cats, right? Yeah, I played the cat team. Now, we should probably explain for anybody who's listening and is like, I have no idea what this game even is. Yeah. That Root, uh, or did you want to explain, Cedric? I'm still fighting with chat. You're still fighting with chat? It, will it not turn on for you? It's on, it's just... Such a small part of the screen right now. Weird. Oh, is it? Um, is it the upper right? You should be able to change it using those three dots. Well, of course, this isn't being very useful. <laughs> Why would it be useful? We can when it well, could just not be useful. Now that I no longer have my phone, that's um, true. Root is a kind of a territory control game. So the core premise of it is that you have different teams for the different players that play completely separately from each other but all utilize the same board and tokens to accrue points that accumulate um, throughout the game. Points that accumulate throughout the game. What a novel concept. <laughs> um, You'd almost think that's how board games just kind of work. <laughs> Was it, the, the, the game is interesting because everybody has a different goal. My bad. And, but it's not different goals per, like, different ways of winning the game. Everyone wins the game by accruing it at a certain amount of points. Well, unless you play one of those cards that changes your victory conditions. But everyone has access to But everybody to has those. access to those. Oh, fair enough. The, the thing that allows it to feel like um, 
each team feels so different though is that you have different ways of getting points so like there's the, the three that we were playing with you right. have the eerie dynasty the cats marquees and the uh this is, woodland this, alliance this is so, where we need to get crona back involved again because she played as the cats i did yeah. how do how do the cats how do the cats play crona um you're basically trying to take over the forest by building different buildings and things that do things i think there's sawmills and uh which, workshops cut wood yeah workshops wa- workshops which help you to craft things um reuse certain cards and then there's um let's see the other one oh recruiters to yeah. get more warriors so get you're basically just kind of trying to take over by building uh these different things okay that makes a lot of sense and um <laughs> watching Cedric try to set up this phone. It's hysterical. <laughs> it wobbles. <laughs> okay. It looks it looks like he's now it's on my headphone cord. Okay-ish. But uh so in the way that you got points was just by building stuff, right? Wasn't that how you gained points with them? Yeah. Or crafting cards, one of the two. Yes. Okay. And then I played as the, the Woodland. The Woodlands who are bunnies, right? Uh they're a bit of everything. Bit of bunnies, bit of mice, bit of mice. I like to think of them as being bunnies because Badgers. they want to just kind of go around and burn everything down. And I own two bunnies, and so that makes sense to me. <laughs> they just want to destroy all the things, uh, and they're interesting because the way that they gain points is by literally by causing trouble. They'll go to different towns and will create supporters. Uh, you can also gain points by destroying structures, which is kind of a good strategy I felt for them because, like, they kind of ha- they're the only one that really has a nuclear option. Mm-hmm. Usually, in combat and route, you've got two dice that you use that have up to three points. Now they've got more than three sides, but they've got up to three points on them. And I think if everything goes perfect for your team, mm-hmm. you could remove at most seven items from the board. Two if you use an ambush card before the fight, and then five if you've got like upgrades and you get the perfect strategy yeah. and you roll perfectly but then you've got the woodland what is it woodland what woodland alliance woodland alliance i was gonna say woodland uprising i was like that doesn't sound right you've got the you've got the rabid rabbits and what they do is when you have an uprising um you can literally just destroy everything that's in that town yeah <laughs> so you can be if you've got supporters in one of these towns and somebody walks in with like this 20 unit army army which i don't know why they would but if they did you could destroy all of them in one move which is interesting so i enjoyed playing them because they had the nuclear option and that was interesting to me yep. and you were playing as the Burbs, right? The burbs. The blue burbs. And there was one that we'd left out that we haven't played yet. Uh, that is the Vagabond. They okay. are the only team that is a single person. Mm. And you, you play the Vagabond by going around and doing quests. And uh, you can also choose to just be a nuisance. Vagabond is also the only team that gets points for removing other people's soldiers, not just their buildings. Mm. Um being a nuisance sounds fun too <laughs> uh so yeah it's an interesting game as far as the different things the birds uh work under the idea of you want to expand and hold territory on the board mm-hmm. but you have to do so by decreeing that you will do actions for the rest of the game so right they're at, very structured these people at the start these of birds. the game you have like two cards in your decree that say something like i'm going to move from this location 
and I'm going to do a battle in this other location. And it's determined by suits on the board, basically. Okay. Um, and on your turn, you have to expand the decree. So by the end of it, you're like, I have to build in a fox clearing. I have to move from a rabbit clearing. I have to then go and do battle in these three clearings and I have to recruit so many warriors. Yeah, it's very rigid. And you will fail. There, there's Eventually. no way to continue doing so. And pro when tip, you fail, pro you tip get to, uh, Pro tip to anybody playing the game with the, who's fighting somebody who's playing as the Burbs. Remember that they have to. They often have to spawn something. Mm -hmm. And if they run out of pieces, they can't spawn anymore. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Yeah. <laughs> that can be a big tripper. But, but it, that's also kind of late, so... When you, when you fail, you're penalized in a lot of ways, but your board state is more or less the same. So even though you mm. might have a setback as far as the actions per turn Didn't you're you, doing... You had like a massive yeah. point loss when I, you were playing us. It was like nine points that you lost. Nine points out now, of a 30-point game. Yeah, out of a 30-point game. It's a point to point out. Like a third of the points needed to win, more or less, were lost in that one turn. Oh, gravy. But I also did fail by being unable to expand bases because I had no more bases to put. So, like, mm -hmm. I was set as far as board position goes in that game. Yeah, yeah. Somehow I won. It was a come-behind victory that even I didn't see coming, if I'm honest. I probably would have won if I had just stuck to the point victory. <laughs> probably, actually. I will uh, say one thing. I loved loved the art style in that game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, with it being based around creatures and just the kind of rustic looking art style i really liked it it makes the cards entertaining to look at and use it makes the board you know kind of entertaining and it makes the pieces fun to use i will say yeah uh your your warriors and your other pieces as well yeah so that i liked yeah i don't know i said yeah and then i thought i had something to say after that and i was like wait no i don't have anything <laughs> yeah. else yeah 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 Shane. what'd you think of the mechanics of the game corona um I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's hard for me to commit to memory some of them because um, to me it's a little more complicated than some of the games that I'm used to playing. So mm. it, it it racks my brain just a little harder to make sure that I remember I'm going through the turn correctly. Again, with repeated plays, I think this will be better. We played it twice and I noticed between the first and second game I was already getting a bit better yeah. at knowing like what my first move of every turn is and so on and so forth. It, it was a bit um, complex. But it is, like, for my team in particular, it's a bit of an exercise in, you know, like, part of a turn that you can do is you can do three, a possible three out of five items. In for eight, the cats. For the cats. Yeah. Any combination of those three, but, you know, you have to kind of look in your brain, like, did I do two? Have I already done all three of them? You know, and every turn that can change. And, mm. of course, each, like, there are things about... Um, the bird team that I thought, well, that's going to be difficult. And same thing with the woodland creatures. I was like, well, how do you keep track of that? So I think for my brain in particular, it's a little bit difficult because of the process. But I, I think I think it would get better, yeah. you know, if we played it more. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, just, I agree. If the I compare same, I it to a lot of the way. games I play, it's, yeah. it's definitely more like procedural. And you've got to, you know, like, just make sure that you're actively paying attention to, to each turn and each process of each turn. Yeah, I'd agree. It, it's um, it's kind of a complex game for me too. Like Cedric yeah. has an easy time with these sorts of things, but uh, no, like uh, you got to remember that me being comfortable with Root also comes from the fact that I've owned that board game for about two years now. I guess that, that might help. <laughs> That's fair. That might help just a little bit. So yeah, fair to keep in mind. 
Oh, but I think we all enjoyed it, so I think we yeah. can go with it being like it was a good game. Yeah. Probably yeah. could recommend it. Root and um the company's predecessor, um, Vast, are both games that I absolutely adore for the asymmetry and how much they are, are able to keep so much in the game without them getting absolutely overwhelming. But it is still more akin, Root is more akin to learning four separate board games than it is to learning a board game. Yeah, it kind um, of is. And Vast, yeah. since I have all the expansions, it's like 16 different board games. <laughs> wow. So, I, they're games that I love to bring out and to play, and I want to get really good at knowing how they work in their ins and outs. And that's what makes them particularly fun for me, is that there is that much depth mm. to them, that many different situations you can get into. But... It's so hard to introduce them to a public group because you will always wind up teaching three or four different people entirely separate mechanics. Yeah, that's a that's a difficult thing about board games these days and has been for a while now because you've got so many video games out there that have really complex rule sets and as a result are kind of these really rich strategy um, experiences. And when you try to approach that kind of difficulty in a tabletop game, like people have to do the math, you know? Yeah. And they have to remember all the rules and they have to know how to apply them. And it's it can be really difficult. It reminds me, of, for some reason, this is reminding me of D&D 4th Edition, yep. which was just way... Yeah. Um, because they were like, oh, hey, World of Warcraft, everybody loves that. And that's really complex. So we should make the pen and paper game really complex. And you can tell that D&D 5e was like this massive reaction to that because it's so much simpler to play now. Some might say mm -hmm. too simple, but I personally think it's perfect. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff that I think comes that comes from board games being forced to keep their rule sets more simple. Um, that you just don't see in video games that often. Yeah. Uh, because people like the big numbers, they usually tend to use them when it doesn't necessarily make sense to. <laughs> I love doing 7,436,124 damage when I'm playing Final Fantasy XIV. What are you talking about? At level one. At, le <laughs> at all levels. At any <laughs> level. I don't know. I mean, all numbers have their place for different uses, but yeah. I, I think there is something that is kind of lost when you choose to concede that well the game's going to be doing most of the calculations for me therefore they don't, don't need do to do crazy yeah. they don't need to make sense like what how many different lines are in the catching formula for pokemon uh what do you mean like the odds of catching a pokemon have you seen that formula i yeah i've seen a couple of them they're how they're really easy to understand right oh yeah totally there's definitely not a million things that can affect it. And, and you would be able to uh, rule on whether or not a Pokemon was caught if it was a board game? What do you mean? Like, if you had to do the math for ruling on a... Well, let's, let me, let's, oh, that would let's, be difficult. Let's back up just a little bit. So <laughs> that what, would be difficult. Not, not like a shiny in particular, but like if you're just catching a regular Pokemon, what yeah. what goes into the math for that? Do you know? Um, how much health they have. Okay. Whether they're afflicted by a status effect. Okay. Which ball you use. Okay. Um, if you're, and if you're using a ball that's affected by time of day, okay. time of day, okay. um, other things that can affect catching. Some of these are very specific to a kind of ball, like a love ball works best if the Pokemon is opposite gender of you. Okay. So if it is, there will be a calculation that goes opposite into that. Opposite of you or opposite of the Pokemon you have out? The Pokemon you have out, okay. sorry. Um, so time of day can affect it. Um, I'm not sure if weather 
may or may not affect it. I'm not certain, but that sounds like it could be a variable that's in it. So I think so I think what CJ I think what I think what CJ was hoping um, for was like a really simple example, but I think she's actually proven the other point you were making, which is you can kind oh, of I go thought, crazy. Oh, I thought he was saying it was complex. Uh, well, I, I am like the the catch rate formulas have always been complex, even in Gen One. And then obviously the catch rate of the, of each Pokemon, each Pokemon has its own catch mm -hmm. rate. So this is opposed to so the the catch rate in Gen One was catch rate plus one over ball mod plus one times F plus one over two fifty six. Nice. That's generation one before they added <laughs> anything to the game. Yeah, that's nice and simple. With the three balls you could use. Um, if you had, if that was a board game, it'd have to come with a calculator, though. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's the thing. So <laughs> absolutely. Th there's something that comes from... Because if you look at something like Banner Socket, they actually did a very good job of keeping all of the calculations that you might need to do in a state where they would be doable in a, in a board game as well. Mm. And as a result, there's a difference in the way that you do strategizing in the game since you can just like comprehend the entire yeah. formula. Like Boulder's Gate 3 ends up doing the same thing because it's based off of D20, which is something you need to be able to play yeah. um, just with your own brain, you know. And I think there's, oh gosh, there's one that Sardane's been playing, and I'm totally spacing on the name of it. Um, Zalastra? Zalastra? Zalasta? Zalasta, I think. I think. But it's, it's turn-based, and it's based off of D20. It's not the full... Uh, 5e but mm. it's it's based off of a large part of it and it's the same sort of thing like since you can figure out the math it's a little easier to comprehend what's happening i yeah. feel like especially with um you tend to see a lot of kind of r completely random numbers being generated into formulas in uh computer-based strategy games you know like it's just if you multiply percentage by percentage by percentage by percentage you're going to end up in a really strange place I'm mostly just trying to get it so that I'm not like <laughs> having it cut off half your face. We're we're messing with this phone thing, but I think we're close. Just throw it out the window. Just throw it out the window. Just throw the whole thing out the window. <laughs> anyway, that's probably enough about tabletop games and Root, though. I th I think we'd all recommend Root, and I think we'd yeah. recommend yeah. Uh, even though it's complex. Even so though make it sure takes you're ready for line. a longer game. That's all I'm gonna say. Until you've got it memorized, <laughs> Root it is shorter. designed to take. 30 to 45 minutes um, in a learning game, which your first six will be learning games. Yeah. Um, double that. Yeah. And also double it again if you plan on like talking or being social at all. Yeah. <laughs> really, when you play this game, you need to just focus. If you're talking to the other people that you're playing with, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Don't be social. <laughs> just play the game. So we're going to move on to the next segment, which is games that we are excited about in the future. And the first one I wanted to talk about was one for Krona because she needs to step out here. And that is Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, which is upcoming pretty soon here, isn't it? Right. November 19th. November 19th. Ooh, the excite. That's less... Oh, it's almost less than Two a month. Months. It's about... Oh, September? August? Wait. What month October. is it? October. It's September. between September and November. I, I'm still working it like it's 2019, so... <laughs> Wait, there's a month between September and November called October? There what? is indeed. Huh. Yeah. That's so we've crazy. got about two and months now. October's the eighth month, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I can't argue with the name. It certainly sounds like it would be. It says, be. yeah. Arct yeah can't Arct argue it has to be. <laughs> it Incept used to be. Sept would be the seventh month then, wouldn't it? It used to be. Yeah. I refuse to believe these things. Anyway, <laughs> so Brilliant Diamond, Shining and Pearl. Then, uh, Look, I've had enough of your crackpot conspiracy to, theories. Uh, immortalize <laughs> themselves. Yeah, it sounds like it. 
Julius and Augusta. Anyway, enough of your harebrained shenanigans. <laughs> Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl coming in November. I thought it was October for some reason. So it's two no. months. It's two months off. Two months. Okay. Two months. Are you excited? I am very excited. Why are you excited? Uh, well, I've I like Generation Four. I didn't play it when it first came out because I wasn't into Pokemon at the time. Like you, you I had skipped been. it, right? I like, took a long break. Yeah. yeah, I took about a decade break from Pokemon. So Gen Four came out in that decade break, but I did play it later. Um, in 2015, I played Platinum, which is the third version of Diamond and Pearl, and I loved it. Hmm. I thought it was great. Um, so I'm excited for the remakes Diamond, here. Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum. Why'd they go with a precious metal for the third one? I don't know. It is a little strange. But I'm excited for it. Um, I know that some people are a little bit split on the art style because it's got that kind of chibi art style to it. And chibi I, it, is little, the best. Well, it's a little weird to me, too, because it's not just the chibi, but like the shading is kind of strange. Um, but after seeing a couple trailers of it, I'm already starting to get used to it. And if I'm honest, as far as proportion wise, it is closer to the original version. Mm than yeah. the stuff we've had like in Sword See, and Shield, I, Sun and Moon. Because Sword and Shield and Sun and Moon, the characters are yeah. like proportional. Yes. You know, yeah. um, they, they to, really tried to make them look like this is the size you would be if you were, you know, a person yeah. in the Pokemon world. I like the chibi style so. be because it reminds me of the first Pokemon game I played, which was Soul Silver. which yeah. when you yes. play that remake, it's 3D, but it's chibi style. Yeah. And I loved that game. So, because you get, you get to have your Pokemon follow you around. Are they going to have Pokemon follow you around? <gasps> oh, yeah. You might have to play it just for that. I might. Which people are excited about. I might. And um, it'll be on Switch, too, which would be great. Yeah. They're bringing back a couple of features that were in uh, the original Diamond and Pearl, which are um, you can add stickers to your Pokeballs. Which, so when they throw out, they what? have like different effects, like confetti or stars or confetti? different things like that. I'm going to get all the confetti stickers so in I'm the world. So I'm very excited that we can put <laughs> stickers on our balls again. And yes, that's how I'm wording it. That's good, um, good to hear. I, I'm I just trying it. to figure out the mechanics of you put a sticker on a Pokeball and that puts confetti inside it. I know. It's, it's it makes as much sense magic. as capturing a seven-foot dinosaur in that small ball. I mean, like, no, you just digitize them. See, what happens is when you put the sticker on, what it actually Except is... not actually, because if you read the Pokemon Adventure series, the Deep Roar, um, <laughs> they are clearly just stuck inside of a small ball staring up at you in resentment. That's probably <laughs> and true. you're supposed to be able to see the Pokemon through the top of the what Pokeball. They, what they Did don't, you know that? What they, don't mention, what they don't mention is there is near-field communication technology that's being used in these stickers. When you put the sticker onto the ball, mm -hmm. the ball realizes, oh, hey, I need to download the latest confetti update and install it <laughs> okay. under this ball. So that's what's happening. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So with the near-field technology, that does bump it up a bit, and they're going to have to charge $0.99 cents per sticker. Oh, don't give them any ideas. Yeah, no, I think it was I think it was a dollar ninety nine actually. What does five hundred yen translate to? Oh wait, that's more like four ninety nine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, five dollars per ball. There's gonna be no per ball. Oh, we're talking about the stickers now. No, that's way more expensive. Actually, you can't even purchase the stickers. You have to purchase the sticker ball from the Gotcha machine that's only available in Japan. Actually, what they have is they have a they have a, a seasonal pass, and as you slowly level up your Pokemon, you're given things like stickers. Mm. By the way, uh, Pokemon Company, if you heard any of this, if you do any of it, I swear. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully I they're will, not listening. I will burn down your parents. But That's I'm what also, will happen. 
I'm also excited for a feature called the Underground, which was in Platinum. I don't know if it was in mm. the original Diamond and Pearl, but is that where all the skateboarders are? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I loved the the Underground because it was a way for you to get rare items, especially that you might not come in contact through during the game. I can't remember if Pokemon were a part of that in the original Platinum, but in the remake, it showed in the trailer when people were walking around in the Underground that there were Pokemon in there that you could only find in the Underground, and you could. It, I think they said it was going to be like a multiplayer experience where you could possibly see other players or see other things, huh. which is really cool because the original wasn't multiplayer. So this would be cool if it was um, yeah, kind really of like been... a group shiny hunting sort of thing or group hunting or whatever I mean, you want to do. The group stuff in Sword and Shield has been really yeah. popular. Yeah, that's why yeah. I hope that they've brought that sort of kind of group. So can it be kind of like a DA thing for not the same, not the exact same thing as, as Dynamax yeah, Adventures, I'm not, but I'm not sure what the like group are. shiny hunting would be really awesome. I'm not sure what the mechanics are, but it would be really cool if they yeah. did that. Uh, so I'm excited to see the underground back. I do remember having a lot of fun with that in the original Platinum hmm. uh, when I played it. So it, you, you, you mine that down there. And this is, so no, this is no relation to Tony Hawk underground, right? Not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just checking. That, that was why the Not skateboarding came up earlier, by the way. So I'm excited for that to come out. Um, just because I really like that generation. I like the Pokemon from mm. it. And, of course, it's going to be on Switch. So, I'm definitely going to have to play that. What evolutions are in that one? I think that was the generation that in introduced Leafeon and Glaceon. <gasps> yeah. That's Krona's favorite. Leafeon's my favorite. Yeah. Pokemon, period. No Sylveon for you, though. Not yet. Yay. That's another selling point for me. <laughs> no, wait. Sylveon. Sylveon was Gen 6. The, the fairy type. Oh, yeah. No, yep, definitely don't miss Came that one. X and Y. <laughs> that was weird. Normally, I like fairies, but that one just looks really strange. For some yeah. reason, I was confusing in my head. I was confusing Sylveon and Umbreon. I don't know why. Oh, definitely different. Um, diff definitely different. Definitely different. Espeon yeah. was the, the psychic one. Yeah. Espeon and Umbreon. So I'm excited for those games to come out. Um, we should just even make this a Pokemon remake. podcast. We just you talk know? about that endlessly. <laughs> even though they're a remake. Um, so I'll definitely be getting those. I'm less certain that I'll be getting the Legends Arceus that comes out in January. Yeah. I, I don't want to go into too much detail on it because I actually don't no, know you. a lot about it. Um all I know is I'm really scared it's, when they it's say a very Breath of the when, Wild vibe. When they say it's coming thing. soon, and then I see what the trailers look like, I'm like, no, <laughs> please no. And I, I don't know how I feel about you being able to be attacked, you personally. Yeah, people being able which to be attacked. Is weird. Um, I'm very used to the Pokemon formula of like you as a trainer are safe. Your Pokemon can be attacked, but you kind of know what to do about that. So it's a different feel. It, if people start buying it, if my friends buy it and they like it, I might just get it. Like it just depends. I just can't I'm imagine. I'm just undecided on it, but I don't. I don't swing one way or the other on it. Like it looked like they took a bunch of assets from Breath of the Wild and just kind of haphazardly placed them on a map and said, "Yay!" And like it doesn't. The the maps that I saw did not look very good, mm. and they didn't look done, and the mechanics didn't look very done, and everything was like, guys, you you rushed out Sword and Shield, and it suffered because of it. And I yeah. hoped you learned your lesson with the expansions because expansions are pretty well conceived and yeah. thought out and executed yeah um so i'm kind of concerned about the arceus thing as well it's like i don't know about this yeah folks. we'll see I'm, that's one i'll probably wait on yeah and if people like it and i end up getting it then that's what? cool what you, that's whatever what's, what's your head swimming for cedric uh just dissenting views on the expansions Oh, wow. Everybody's got their opinions, and <laughs> yours are apparently wrong, but... Uh, oh, I didn't say that. No, his, not yours. No, I didn't say that they were wrong. You're saying that. I, what, you don't like the expansions? I do. But he's not wrong just because he doesn't like them. 
Yeah, he is. No, no, no. Yeah, that's no, how that no, works. No, no. Disclaimer for this podcast, Jay Lights holds this opinion. Crona does not necessarily hold this opinion. I should be clear that, like, I think I enjoy the expansions mostly because they were an improvement from the base game, which was kind of a low bar in terms of story to me. So when I'm thinking about quality of Pokemon games, I will admit I am thinking about um, Fire Red and Leaf Green as kind of my bar to hold pokemon games to which okay. admittedly is that is second gen or third a remake of the first it is a, it's considered a third gen game but it was a remake of oh Red i see and Blue. okay okay yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, but that's a high bar as far as the series is concerned mm-hmm. i i think that's a, a lot of people's pinnacle probably yeah that or heart gold and soul silver yeah um but in that remake you already had puzzles like you saw in the second expansion mm-hmm uh, just scattered throughout the world. Okay. And it caused them to become a lot more of a natural part of the experience, whereas in Sword and Shield, with that third expansion, it's just so condensed into one area, it feels a lot more artificial to me and mm. kind of ruins the entire aspect of going and exploring the world. Yeah, I don't think Jay even played through Crown Tundra. No, I just got to the Dynamic Adventures and called it a day. Yeah, yeah. so you didn't even, he didn't even play through the part. To be that fair, you were the, one, about. the one that I liked was the Isle of Armor. Isle of Armor. Yeah, and I should also be clear in saying that, like, my general opinion of Sword and Shield is not humongously positive. Um, if we were going back to our blue bottles, it'd probably get like a two point five, because I just feel like the it, and I've told Corona this a million times. Like, I think the the characters are well conceived. I think the areas are really awesome looking. I think the story was like drug over the ground by a bunch of wild horses and then stomped <laughs> on a few times and ignored it for a couple months. It was one of the months. weaker stories. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, it's yeah. it's like it's bad, just not for a Pokemon story. It's just bad. Like, and it's not finished, and it's not explained. Anyway, I could go on forever. My favorite, personally, and this is actually somewhat controversial, my favorite Sun and Moon, because I thought the story in that one was really interesting. Now, Corona tells me if I just play Black and White, I'd change my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I haven't played it, so if anybody's like, but Black and White, no, hold on. I haven't played that one yet. <laughs> but of the ones I have played, Sun and Moon was my favorite story because it was so... I don't know, it was, it was just really um, emotional. It really kind of pulled you in, and the, the baddie in that one was like, wow, you're willing to sacrifice your... Wow, I won't spoil things, but it's just yeah. it was really cool to me. Um, so to go from that, which was a really well-conceived story, to all the hand-waving of Sword and Shield was like, really? And for me, the story was never that important in the Pokemon series, but the sense yeah. of exploration was something that I really, really enjoyed. And that's why... Um, fire red was just such a great game for me because you have the main game which is pokemon red Mm -hmm. and then you finish that and they're like oh hey go check out these few extra items it's like hey it's a remake you got a little extra to do and then you finish those and they're like by the way did you know you can just go to johto and do the second game as well in this title Hmm. oh really yeah we're learning things today you you get two different Pokemon leagues and a set of extra islands to go through huh. in Fire Red. Well, we need, to get, we need to get you Fire Red, apparently. <laughs> Maybe. Though and I think it, that's a Game Boy game. Game Boy Advanced. Yeah. We've, 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 we've gone far afield of what I was trying to talk about, which was how we're excited for... <laughs> I'm Diamond excited Pearl to play Fire yeah. Red again. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, so so we're, we're excited for various Pokemon projects, but not Arceus. I don't think any of us are excited for Arceus. I want to see what that one will be, but I'm not putting well, any stock on look, it. It's too far afield from the traditional think that, games to really 
think that they'll yeah. be able to pull it off on their first try. I also think that train wrecks are fun, but <laughs> uh, they're still disasters. Now, to be fair to, to them, uh, Unite was their first time ever making a MOBA, and it's done extremely well. Um, I've played it, and it's, well, maybe MOBA's not the... No, it's, it's a MOBA. MOBA is the right um, I've played it a fair amount, and I thought it was pretty well put together. It's not yeah. exactly my kind of game. I mean, it the like... menus are atrocious. Hmm? Uh, I'm just gonna say it right there. Um, the the amount of time it takes for menus to load in and stuff like that. Yeah, in ten cents, ten cents, uh, fingerprints are all over the darn thing. That's yeah. for sure. But the game is done fairly well. Yeah. So they can do new things well when they put their minds I, to I'm it. I'm excited whenever a dev decides to experiment. I just always, yeah, man, ha that because it's like, well, yeah. Anyway, I hope it goes well. But <laughs> so, Krona, yes. thank you very much for for being involved today. I think we're gonna let oh. Krona go and rest if she wants to. No problem. So, thank you very much. Just just leave your headphones there and <laughs> get out of here. All right. Do you want to say Do you want to say goodbye to the fine people? Bye to the fine people. Bye. Bye. We'll talk to you later. All right. See. Ya. Oh goodness, we've turned her microphone off, but you might hear some background sounds as she exits the the booth. No, you can unplug the head. She's asking about her headphones. You can unplug them from that thing and walk out with headphones. Getting the play-by-play. -play. Yeah, we're we're doing live commentary on Krona. Okay. <laughs> One step at a time. Don't forget to shut the door, otherwise people will be able to hear the air conditioner. That'd be just depressing. What? We're not rich enough to have air conditioning in a studio. <laughs> there is air conditioning. It's not really a studio, I guess. <laughs> Oh, goodness. So Jay we've, just destroying the magic. <laughs> In our expensive, no frills, spared studio mm -hmm. thingy, majigger. I guess it kind of is my studio. Oh, thank you. She's she's apparently going to continue to listen to us. And Sedgic is now monitoring chat, so I'm continuing to not look at it. We're continuing to not have anybody actually chat at us, so which is fine. Nobody has to talk to us. How do you know? I don't. I'm now I'm looking behind me. <laughs> we don't have any chat. Nobody's chatted it. It's fine. But you can come watch us on JLights on Twitch Wait, if you did... want. What? Why did I bring up the chat on my phone if I could just look over your shoulder? Well, that'll be your cue that you need because I don't know if that's going to be big enough to read it. But uh, yeah, so other games that we're excited about or excited about playing again. The one that I'm super excited about is Gran Turismo 7, which is upcoming. Cars. Yeah, crazy for me. <laughs> I mean, I did spend a whole bunch of time talking about Dirt 5 earlier. Uh-oh. Uh, Discord am... boops. How am I hearing Discord boops from anywhere? That is really strange. Is it from your phone? No, it must be from... It's from my other... It's from my second computer. Oh, stink. Um... Wow. Well, this is a fine, <laughs> fine kettle of fish that we find ourselves in. Um, I'm not quite sure how to fix this one. So and I heard three of them, but there was only actually one chat well, message. I, well, um, I'm looking at Twitch chat, and that would not cause a Discord boop. Hmm. That's that's weird. So anyway, we're having all sorts of boops and beeps, and I so apologize. Does say loud noises right when that happens. So. <laughs> Timing. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? Anyway, so Gran Turismo 7 um, looks really interesting, but I don't know if I'm going to be able... I don't know if I'm actually going to get a hold of it because, you know, who can buy a PS5 these days anyway? But even if they were to ramp up production, I'm a little bit disappointed that you can't use an Xbox controller on the PS5. 
I mean, I know, but come on, you know? Why would you ever want to? Because Xbox controllers are better than PS5 controllers. No, no, no. No, they are. They're about the same, no, except they're, they're, that they're much better. Switch controllers are better than both. I mean, I'm not going to argue with her on that because you've already been registered as being crazy. So, <laughs> no, I just, I prefer that. The thing is, is we should actually be on the same side. You should like the Xbox controller more than the PS controller because the layout of the, of the Switch controller is actually similar to the Xbox controller. See, I just went out and got a controller that lets me put the buttons wherever I want them. That is true. You did do that. <laughs> and I bet that that also wouldn't work with the PS5, I'm going to be honest. No, it would. Does it? it it's a uh, PS4 registered. Really? So it would probably... Huh. Maybe, maybe. I'm told there's like mods out. Not mods, but like devices you can get that are supposed to map things across. But apparently like you lose a few milliseconds. Hmm. It's like I'm not going to put up with that nonsense. I need those milliseconds so that I can lose faster, darn it. But I don't know, because Gran Turismo 7 is such a mood for me. Like, I loved the original Gran Turismo games, so 1 and 2, I used to play them all the time. So part of me wants to play 7, because Gran Turismo 7 is the first return they've had to that kind of original RPG almost setup of Gran Turismo 1 and 2. Like, it hasn't really been in the game since Gran Turismo 5. I think Gran Turismo 4 was the last one that really kind of tried to do that, and that was quite some time ago now. A decade and a half, if not two. So I'm kind of excited for the idea of Gran Turismo 7, but it's probably going to be a PlayStation exclusive, and I don't know if I can get a PS5, and I don't know if I want to put up with the controller. And then there's people listening to this being like, we should just get a, a wheel. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to get a wheel because they're difficult to set up. And they're like, what kind of new bar are you? And it's like, shut up. But Gran Turismo 7 looks really cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I am looking forward to it. We'll see if I actually play it, but... Yeah, I am looking forward to it. But the other game that we were both talking about a little bit was Troubleshooters. Yes, always talking about Troubleshooters because the devs refuse to charge a reasonable price for that game. <laughs> Most of the time when you hear people talking about or complaining about the devs not charging a reasonable price, it's like they want $200 for that game. No, the Troubleshooter devs are going to force you to pay $20 for a game that will last longer than most AAA titles. It's true. It really should at least be 40 bucks. And it's, not 60. They're only like a third of the way through the story. I imagine by the time they stop providing free updates for the game, it's going to be like a 600-hour game. Oh, geez. I really need to get back to it. I, I loved the character design in that yeah. game. Like, just the characters are interesting, which is, you know, crazy. But Because it's like, it reminds me a lot of XCOM. It's the same kind of idea as XCOM. But in XCOM, like, the characters don't have stories, really. Yeah, and the style and theming of Troubleshooters reminds me a lot of an anime. I don't... It's a little bit Persona, but it's also a little bit more towards the Durarara uh, anime from probably 2015. Oh, okay. Um, but it, it was a kind of urban... Um, It was a show that relied on kind of urban legends, yeah, but more how they are formed and how they communicate, and how I'm that influences you, I'm assuming the you don't mean Mythbuster. <laughs> no, no, like it was a bunch of uh, not kids, but not just teenagers. I don't know, yeah, a bunch of people mm -hmm. that would be on a chat room and they're like sending around messages, like, "Did you hear that the the Black Rider is back in town?" <gasps> They're evading police again. There's sirens all over town. Did you hear that the game? So it's like hmm. all these rumors, the urban rumors that you would hear 
just between different people online and they built a story around them and it was an, an interesting conceit and had some uh, fairly good designs i feel like hmm. um at least characters that i still remember so that helps yeah usually if you can remember the characters <laughs> it's a good sign so i would uh, agree with that and uh troubleshooters though takes that and adds a little bit more flavor to the characters than that show did yeah uh, not quite as far as persona to where because i feel like a lot of persona characters tend to get a little bit muddled mm. and I've, i haven't played in a, I me- i've meant to play persona 5 and i yeah. haven't yet so i've heard good things but everyone in troubleshooters feels very distinct and has pretty distinct goals too i think the biggest thing that the game is missing out on is the fact that uh well the story's not finished <laughs> it'd it's, be nice it's a hundred and it's close how close are they you said they're two-thirds of the way through I, I have no clue what their entire vision for the game is Fair i'm enough. just guessing it's gonna be the never-ending story possibly that actually never ends I, I all i know is i've played the first like few days in the game yeah. and i You're thought not that, even out of the tutorial no not really um but I, I think it's really interesting and there are some difficulties uh it's definitely a slow burn game well yeah and it's just one of those things where like when you're playing that style of management game in x with xcom for example you know the characters that you have the squad the team members you have don't have backstories because they're auto-generated because they can die mm-hmm. and you don't really have that in uh uh in sorry in troubleshooters uh you can die but if you do it kind of resets the story right like you don't lose them as characters just because they die in a fight right so in most cases they do more the final fantasy tactics or fire emblem where you have the option to just continue on if someone gets downed in battle and they revive at the end of it yeah it'd be really interesting for somebody to make a game like this that had stories and yet they could actually die and then you just don't (laughs) learn the rest of the story i guess yeah that'd be crazy that'd be high stakes at that point (laughs) and then there of course if there's something that's that's like thematic um like there's a a character in the story that is going to get killed if they go down in that particular fight then yeah they will reset the chapter if that character goes down but when you gotta love it when you've got characters where they're gonna die at the end of the fight because of a cutscene, but if they die during the fight you have to start the fight over um not that that's happened in this game i'm just saying i've seen games where this happens you know yeah i I feel like that's happened in a few things but for the most part um they tend to frame it as having a different um cutscene afterwards (laughs) could not decide if i wanted to sneeze (laughs) i was sitting here for like 10 seconds being like are you gonna sneeze or what different cutscenes what Uh, so if uh there's a few fights where it'll branch what cutscene plays depending on whether or not a character goes down huh is that kind of like how in final fantasy 7 if you manage to save Ares' life the rest of the game is completely different yeah 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 yeah. most people might not be aware of this but there is a way to do it go look it up on the internet yeah actually (laughs) you'd joke about that but there might actually be a way to do it now which is play the remake If they don't kill her in the remake, I'm going to be mad. Well, so... It changed the entire point of the game. Heavy spoiler warning for Final Fantasy VII Remake. Like, <laughs> legitimately, I'm going to talk about the final boss of that game. They added a whole bunch of new characters in that game, didn't they? Like, they added a bunch of new sub-characters. 
I it's not. So. It's not Sephiroth at the end of the. I'm assuming it's not Sephiroth. The final boss of the first game in the remake series was you killing the concept of fate because okay. <laughs> the storyteller uh, just does not want anyone to be able to pull the shit of like it's not like the originals they're like look you killed the concept of fate you have broken the timeline this is your fault <laughs> they, they, they can't they, it's not the same game why call it why even call it a remake at that point they want to use the same characters well just call it final fantasy 7 reimagined instead like you can't call it sure. a you can't call it a remake at that point i don't think that's a good I don't know. I, I have opinions. <laughs> you have opinions, and uh, the devs are like, well, we're not listening to them. So Apparently. <laughs> if they're if they're really going to significantly change the story, I just don't know how I feel about that. It's not that they I, can't. I think it's mostly just going to run on a parallel, so like the broad strokes might be the same, but they're probably going to subvert a lot of this stuff. If they make it so that Ares can like survive, I'm going to be like, yeah, this isn't... It's no longer... Because it literally would not be Final Fantasy VII to me at that point. It's like, it's just a different game. I mean, the way you've talked about it in the past, it's just not Final Fantasy XVII regardless. Yeah, basically. No, just kidding. I can... I, I don't know. I could accept it as being like a reimagined way of doing things. The characters are good characters in their great settings, so sure, why not tell another story that uses the same characters slightly different? I mean, I liked reboot... Like, reboots of uh, Star Trek I thought were good. I know not everybody's a fan, but I liked the reboots. Um, so, you know, call it a reboot, I guess, if you want to. yeah. But all that to say, we're go, just gonna have go and Cloud's, Cloud's gonna die this time. It's gonna be Cloud, <laughs> and then Tifa and Ares are gonna have to carry on. It's gonna be great. Yeah, go play troubleshooters. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't carry all this baggage with it. Oh, it carries its own baggage. It has it has its own thing. It has its own weight. So uh, we've decided to hear that like this last segment should be called like I've decided it should be called like the Rambler, but I don't have a sound for it. We're just gonna play that sound and pretend like it's related. <laughs> Cedric, okay, I think the sound ended. Cedric, Cedric has been hypnotized <laughs> by the sound. So this is kind of an expansive topic, and it is born out of uh, an effort that we were making over the last few months at this point, I guess, because we, we kept challenging each other to play games um, that we liked or we thought would be interesting to talk about or any number of things. And the other person would get a hold of the game, and then we'd talk about it. We did this with Ender Lilies, at least. And we kind of did it a little bit with Cold Waters, kind More of. More Elite Dangerous. In Elite Dangerous. We definitely did it with Elite Dangerous. So there were a few games that we'd done this with. And <clears throat> I, I'm i kind of wanting to just drop the concept because I've decided I don't really care for it. And there's <laughs> there's a reason for this. And it, it's a branching path here that we're going we're gonna to take both paths. But there's two things that kind of come out of this. Because what happened is I had, I had CJ play... KSP and Purple Space Program for those who aren't in Jay's acronym head. Well, uh, everybody should know what KSP stands for. I feel like it's a J-pop group. <laughs> Maybe it is. Purple Space Program. Now, I should be really clear that we're going to get to what Cedric thinks of it in a little bit here. But I obviously really I love the game. I love it a lot. And the reason I bring this up is because like I don't just kind of love Purple Space Program. It was a huge part of um a certain segment of my life between my divorce and my next relationship i played it a whole bunch and it, it was just a lot of fun it it kept my mind occupied and 
it's interesting because Kerbal Space Program, like, I think everybody who plays it knows that it has problems and knows that there are many an issue with the game. Uh, but we all ignored these issues <laughs> because the game to us because is... Because you are not capable of the clear sight that I have. Oh, clearly. <laughs> clearly that's what it is. So there's two things that kind of come out of this, right? Like, So I love this game a lot, and Sedgwick has no particular attachment to it and is not, generally speaking, huge on... Um, on uh, simulation games. Mm-hmm. It's just not really Cedric's thing, which is fine. And so here's here's Starry IJ being like, oh, we'll, we'll give him we'll give him KSP, and he'll love that game because it's quirky and fun, and then life will be fantastic. And I wasn't letting myself think about the fact that maybe he'd be critical, you know, as is sensible, really, would be critical about one of my favorite games of all time. And so we started trying to talk about it, and there's problems, and I know this, and Sedgwick was bringing up all the problems. He wasn't saying he hated the game, just saying, well, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is kind of dumb, I don't really like this, why do they do this, why do they do that? And eventually I just, I couldn't handle it anymore. I was like, we're done talking about this. I don't remember what the exact chat message was, but it was actually very similar to that. It was like, okay, we're not going to talk about this anymore. Um, And the reason I said it was because it had finally become clear in my mind that I could not be reasonable about the game. And that's just, that's on me more than anybody else, I feel. It was clear to me that I did not want to think of the game in any sort of negative light. And this led to kind of some interesting thoughts for me. One of them is how selective perception affects our, our mood and our happiness. This actually kind of goes deep into psychology. And they've been doing, there's a book I've been reading lately called uh, Overloaded, and it talks about uh, psychological uh, effects of different chemicals inside of our brain, and they talk extensively about things like depression and how depression actually works. And there's also a podcast from the author, uh, Ginny Smith, that I listened to as well. And she mentioned that the way that depression works for humans is, as if you have a, if you're in a depressive state, you will start to create memories that have more negative connotations attached to them than positive ones. Not that you view the situation as negative, but literally that you remember the bad things about the situation. And then as you continue to be depressed, as you look at your old memories, you will actually pull them up and you will notice mostly the negative things still. So you remember things more sadly, you pull things up in a more sad fashion, and then after you pull a memory up, you actually reinsert it back into your memory and you reinsert the sad stuff more than the positive stuff. So you can actually, through that action, um, start to develop depression just by allowing that to rule your thinking. Now that being said, for anybody who's curious, um, there are some folks where that's just kind of how it is and medication is the best way to solve the imbalance that exists there. But there are therapies that can also help folks that maybe don't need that. If you do need professional help, I would recommend that you seek it. I am not a psychologist. Keep that in mind. But it does affect our perception of games, I think. And for me, KSP was something that I had used to stay happy and to be a thing that I wanted to be a pleasant memory from my past. So I've literally just gone out of my way mentally and done a bunch of gymnastics, not consciously, but subconsciously just done a bunch of gymnastics to only remember the stuff that's really pretty positive about the game. (laughs) And then when I go back to play it again or I think about the game again, I tend to focus on all those positive things and just kind of ignore the stuff that's not quite as pleasant. Um, so whenever I go back and play it, I, I have quite a bit of fun as a result. Now, 
that's not to say that this is a moral imperative and that everybody ought to do this sort of thing. It's just a thing that tends to happen to folks. And that's why it can be so difficult sometimes when you have a game that you really rely on like that, um, or anything really cultural that you rely on like that, to face it critically. Because as soon as you start to get critical about it, your brain's like, nah, I need this. I need this to be happy. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of makes you want to shut down. And that's what ended up happening. Oh, that to say, Jay cried uncle. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't handle it. can't handle the pressure. But KSP does have a bunch of issues. And one that yeah. I at least wanted to make sure that I brought up was the, don't play the economic. If you haven't played Kerbal Space Program before, don't play the economic simulation. It's dumb. Stick with the science one. It's, it's more rewarding. It's more fun. It's the one that I played for the most part when I was playing it back in the day. Yeah. But I sent Sedgic out to play the economic one, and he quickly started to poke a bunch of holes in the systems because they're not super great but this is also me compartmentalizing and doing damage control because i'm like well cj played the economic simulation so clearly that's the broken part nobody liked I mean, that I, anyway i still so. think i have a issue with the way that the science playthrough would go la 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 i, I, la, la, I can't it. hear you la 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 what but uh, <laughs> it, it just feels weird that like kerbal space program the main thing they have you do is building rockets and flying them but you don't get rewarded for mm. doing that so what i'm hearing is you love kerbal space program that's nice <laughs> I, I, and I've made counterpoints to that before, but we're not really going to go yeah. into it. I, I think I will say just as what my counterpoint was, because I don't want people to be left completely hanging, is to me it was more about the space program, and usually space programs, if you're big into space exploration, the science side is actually really important. So hmm. that feels like it connects to me, but I can understand if and you approach the game thinking, well, I'm going to build rockets. If we uh, were to have this conversation, I'm pretty sure that we would probably end it with... The fact that the way that you're coming at Kerbal Space Program is from the idea of a sim. You're trying to represent what it would be like to run a yeah. space Whereas program. Whereas you're looking at it as a game. Where, like, the main action I'm doing is building and flying a rocket. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, very, very different approaches to things. And this is actually, it's interesting going through this is kind of informed the way that I want to approach this podcast. Um, as well as kind of helping to kind of point out some of the differences in how we take games in. Like, I tend to prefer Sims, and if I'm not playing a Sim, I want to play something that has a story. Um, rules, the rules and the mechanics are not actually a humongous thing to me, and I don't generally think about them unless I think they're too difficult and then I get mad. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's kind of my approach. Whereas, Sedgic is way more interested in how the systems work, which is good because, you know, it gives us some diversity in the sorts of things we look for. There's a lot of overlap. Like, we both yeah. like story-driven games. We both are really big into character development. Um, we like well-conceived of characters. Yeah. And I think we both enjoy good mechanics. I think we just enjoy them in different ways. So, But Sims are definitely not CJ's thing. Um, and I also don't particularly like games that are extremely complex when it comes to mechanics. So there's a bit of a difference. A you little bit say of that, there. but Sims tend to be the worst games as far as extremely complex things go. And the worst part about it is that they're only extremely complex because, well, we're simulating. <laughs> the thing is, I generally will only play Sims where I'm familiar with the real world context yeah. enough that playing the Sim is fine. Like, I, I'm huge into flight simulators. And of course I love those games because, like... I have always wanted to be able to fly a plane. Um, I don't have a license, but I have taken some lessons and I can kind of fly a plane. So flight simulators have never been a huge issue for me. Um, I don't know how that works into things like Elite Dangerous, if I'm honest. Uh, but I do like economic simulators, which is why I'm, I'm huge into city builders, I think. Just because I find them fascinating. 
Um, but I'm not so much into 4X, which is interesting. So I, I always tell myself I like 4X and You've then I never play had one. the and... ambition to go out and take over the world? Oh, I have. That's just not how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. I do it differently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but kind of the broader thing to actually ramble about, now that we've kind of talked a little bit about KSP. Oh, and also, like, we're, we're probably just going to keep doing our podcast like we've been doing it, just going over games that we've played and games we're excited about and just no real structure i mean the the podcast is called null point for a reason there's not really no a real structure as i look at a full page of notes over what it's, we're going to talk they're about prompts it's a full page of prompts and it's more than a page isn't it i don't know but well, I need, it's like one page for this week true it's uh i need the prompts otherwise i forget what i was going to talk about and then we just spend the whole entire time going um what we're we going to talk about again no man's sky endlessly complaining about no man's sky <laughs> is what everybody thinks we do on this podcast so uh we weren't even going to talk about no that's the funny thing is when we st when we sat down to write down topics for this week we were like okay we're gonna avoid no man's sky and we're gonna avoid elite dangerous because we talk about them way too much and then like right before the podcast began there was a funny video about No Man's Sky. Mm -hmm. And then a couple days ago, when I was doing all that research for Sumerians, I found out that Elite was first made on the ZX Spectrum. And so both of those showed up. <laughs> we, we can't get away from them. <laughs> it's our curse. We need to start bringing in Monster Hunter World randomly as well, mm -hmm. so that we can get okay. a game from your side as well that... Well, Monster Hunter Rise is coming out is out is it out on pc yet i don't know eh, we'll figure it out next week maybe <laughs> soonish though but the big thing that, that that so to go back to the ksp topic and we're not going to talk about ksp really anymore but there was something something beeped i'm guessing that's discord i, I apologize yeah. folks i i uh, maybe i can fix this real quick i think it's open on my game computer is it even coming through on the recording then? Yep, I can hear it. If I can hear it, then it's coming through on the recording. Okay. Quit Discord. There we go. I feel really silly, but what are you going to do? It should be gone now. It's probably my family trying to tell me that there's free food somewhere. Anyway. Um, KSP Goodwill. So, the reason why this perception stuff matters is one thing that CJ and I like to talk about a lot for reasons that we don't even completely understand is how important it is to consider, um, my brain is really struggling right now. I cannot remember the name of this concept, uh, controlling expectations, setting expectations and making sure that the players of your game have proper expectations and why it's important and this actually ends up going straight back into elite dangerous so we're going to talk about elite dangerous even more actually though we could we could really bring this up around no man's sky instead because it had the same problem so <laughs> it happens with a lot of games though we can talk about cyberpunk we beat up on that one a lot what's another game that's had the the hype problem because this is the hype problem is the biggest expectations have been let down issue you know uh, I mean, there's a, a lot of the just every year releases that always have that problem. The 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 Madden whatever year this is. There's a, we a could lot go of games with 76. I, I could bring up that Fallout 76 was one. 
that had a whole bunch of issues. Fallout 4 had it worse. Really? I thought 76 got more flack than Fallout 4 did. 76 gets more flack because it's an easier target, but Fallout 4, I feel like, disappointed fans more. Hmm. Probably took more goodwill with it. Yeah. So here's 76 was pretty upfront about, you know, once you've opened the game, this is what you're getting. Fallout 4, though, it was always just right on that line of being what people wanted. So I feel like it turned more. Interesting. So what are we talking about with the hype train? I think everybody's just kind of intuitively aware that if people promise a whole bunch and then don't deliver on it, people are going to be pissed. But I think it goes a layer deeper. And and it's also a layer above that, though, because Mm. it doesn't have to be anyone related to the game promising it. No, it doesn't. fan decides that the game is going to provide that fallout new vegas level of quest quality then people are going to expect yeah and you should probably if you're a game company you need to come out and get ahead of nonsense like that like if people are saying hey i i heard a rumor that this and this and this are going to be in the game and you're thinking to yourself oh hey that's that's taking off that's hype right that's that's good people are going to find out more about the game so that's a good thing no it's a bad thing it's a very bad thing. Yeah. You don't want overpromising to come from anywhere because trust me, fans, and I know this as a fan, we tend to like rumors and we tend to believe that they're substantiated somewhere back there, especially if it's a feature we wish was in the game. So on that level, yeah, like fan rumors can kind of can kind of get out of hand. Companies should be trying to control for that and should be refuting rumors and saying, no, we're not really sure that's a feature we're going to include or whatever. Like you have to be in open communication with your fan base to make sure they understand what they're going to get. Um, so if, but if you allow things to build up and build up and build up and build up, and then the game comes out and it is not what people expected, obviously people are going to be upset and you might think the problem stops there. It does not, not even close because it comes back to what I was talking before about depression. Now, depression is just one example of that action happening. That is how people's brains are designed. We, we work by association. If we have a negative association with something, we will pick out memories that or will form new memories that conform with our notion that we already have about it and it actually takes a lot of work to talk people out of their preconceived biases and where you see this is in games like um uh, well elite dangerous is going through this right now where they they had their frontiers expansion odyssey expansion pardon me frontiers as a company they had their odyssey expansion and it really just didn't live up to expectations it wasn't really what people wanted they wanted things like ship interiors and instead they got a kind of okay-ish first-person shooter, pardon me, third-person shooter experience. Um, People get it in their head that they're going to get this, they don't get this, and as a result, people get upset. And their association with the Odyssey expansion now, for a lot of fans, and you can actually see the difference if you go to the subreddit versus if you go and you watch Obsidian Ant on YouTube. Those are kind of two big segments of the community right there. People who watch Obsidian Ant's videos have a very negative view of the expansion, and they're mad about it. And as a result, any new stuff that comes out is just never good enough because they're always picking it apart. They're like, oh, well, I see that you fixed 99% of things, but what about this last 1% of things? It's affecting Jim over here and Jim's having a horrible time and now we're all mad again. It's because that's the culture that they're existing in. They're, they're all mad about it and they're reinforcing it with each other that this has gone terribly. Yeah. If you go over to the subreddit, people are actually pretty positive about Odyssey. You know, there's still some people who are like, well, it's not quite done it's more like it's in beta but but still it's fun and we're all enjoying it like if you, if you go to the subreddit people are having a whole bunch of fun so it's, it's interesting how different groups kind of will set this but it's important to recognize that it can happen and sometimes it's more widespread than others you can have a game like cyberpunk 2077 where i'm pretty sure 90 percent of the fan base is so soured on that game 
that you can't really fix it. And if I were to point one out in myself, I think I'm that way about No Man's Sky. I, I think No Man's Sky could end up being a legit, like if they were to make it a legit, awesome, best, greatest game ever. Um, I don't think I could ever see it that way because my opinion of it has always been so negative since I started playing it that I don't think I can see past it anymore. My brain is just set that way. I've been talking for a long time. Do you have thoughts on this? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got uh, rambling. I'm just trying to figure out where I'd be on that No Man's Sky spectrum. I don't know that I'm that salty about No Man's Sky or anything yeah. like that. It's just they have never once made a expansion to No Man's Sky that brings it closer to the game that I thought I yeah. was getting. I think that part of the reason why we, we may have a slight difference on this is because what I wanted out of the game is a little bit different than what you had wanted. Because I just wanted a wandering, like a, a solitude wandering simulator. Like I wanted it to be like I was in the middle of effing nowhere on an alien planet um with animals kind of hidden here there and everywhere and you got to really go search for them to find them and there's nobody around and it was the opposite of that there's a, there's animals everywhere and they all look goofy and there's always ships flying overhead for some reason and you're always within arm's reach of resources and it's like it's just too immediate and, and, th it, and that's me, never going to change it's similar but slightly different because it, it was always about like i wanted to explore mm-hmm but there's nowhere to anchor yourself for that exploration to have. Yeah, I'd agree. But I wonder how both of us would have approached the game if, first off, if they'd waited until like now with, because they just had a new expansion. Let's pretend yeah. that that new expansion was like their initial release. And instead of being told it was an explorer game, we'd just been told, hey, you've got kind of a base builder in space game that you can also explore other planets on if you want. I still wouldn't like it because I'm not real big on those base yeah. exploration and and I wouldn't I wouldn't have played it but I wouldn't be mad at it yeah <laughs> I just feel like oh well that's nice I'm not gonna play that game yeah but so but this is like this is the expectation this game and you see it across all forms of media you know um, we were talking about this with other media yesterday like how it can mess up creators hmm. um, because it kind of sours, like you might learn nasty things. What, what was the example that you had yesterday? So big taboo in one of the communities that I am a part of is uh, talking about a YouTube channel called Extra Credits. Yeah. And it's taboo now, is it? It always has been in that community because the um, leader is not the right word. The uh, creator that the community follows mm -hmm. is one of the original creators of extra credits mm. um are we allowed to say what this community is that you're a member of or are you trying to keep them separate or i mean it, is this dan is this dan i'm yeah. assuming yeah dan floyd from playframe is, who is a super awesome guy yeah yeah well so, i've not met him seems like a really nice guy he, he has to he must be yeah. i demand <laughs> anyway he seems nice yeah um but Around the time that um, he left the Extra Credits channel for personal reasons, uh, there was a big fallout in that the other kind of lead creator on it um, was accused of abusing power. And yeah. it was never really resolved as far as I'm aware. Yeah, and we probably won't go into details, but yeah. you can find it all over the internet. So, But it just kind of struck me in how even though like 
there wasn't anything that extra credits as a channel has to do with that individual anymore. Yeah. I still don't find myself wanting to go back and try and rejoin that community, even though it's providing the same content that it yeah. was before, even though it's the same kind of stuff. Something about it just feels kind of gross. Because it's a memory of this time that I felt like I was lied to. Yeah. yeah. Like I was taken advantage of, even though I was not involved in any of that scandal other than trusting yeah. someone. And even though, and even though the people like, that you, because yeah. I believe the people you'd liked the most from extra credit were not this person; they were yeah. other folks. So it's like it shouldn't really affect you at all, you know. It, it, it absolutely shouldn't. Because I had I had the same problem with because I remember when you came up with that story, the one that I offered that was kind of similar was my experience with World of Warcraft. Yeah, which I had only started playing it relatively recently. Um, it was about probably three or four months before the, the Blitzjung thing. But I'd put in a few hundred hours by that point. I was like way into classic and then I was way into kind of modern and, and playing it a bit. And I know that people who have been playing since 2001 are probably like, well, modern kind of sucks these days. I understand. Like, I get that. But I was enjoying myself. And then the Blitzjung thing happened and just really soured me. Because I was yeah. like, and it, it's interesting how this works because I think a lot of folks are like, Blitzjung, what's that? And then you're going to go look it up and be like, okay, well... It's not that big of a deal, is it? In in retrospect, maybe it isn't that big of a deal. But yeah, when I was kind of when I was there, when it was happening, I was embedded in it. Like I was on Twitter. I was like, I don't, I don't go on Twitter anymore. But at the time, I was a big Twitter user. And man, we were just sending stories back, forth, left, right, everywhere, and hashtagging this and hashtagging that. And like, I remember it consumed me for three or four days. We were trying to get Blizzard to like disavow something that had been said by one of their Twitter accounts in China. We were like, this is ridiculous. You can't, you can't support this. You've at least got to remain neutral, if nothing else. And like, we just went on and on and on and on and on. It wasn't like none of the people who were working on World of Warcraft, none of the people who were working on Diablo had anything to do with any of this and yet there i was getting really mad at blizzard to the point that like i couldn't play world of warcraft anymore because playing the game reminded me of that whole entire kerfuffle i know there's a lot of folks probably going through that feeling right now with the recent allegations of sexual harassment that blizzards yeah. had thrown against them um i'll bring up the same thing that i brought back then which is it can be really easy to fall into being mad at the product because of a few bad actors when the reality is that like most of the people who are working on world of warcraft or diablo 4 or diablo remaster diablo 2 remastered um they're all perfectly fine people and many of them are the women who were being harassed and now we're taking money from them by not buying the product and i know that's complicated and and difficult and i'm not trying to give a definitive opinion i'm just trying to kind of mess things up a little bit but i'm also trying to recognize um that one of the reasons that that happens is not i mean even if people consciously can remember oh hey this i know it's not the people who made wow's fault but it still feels gross and yeah. that's my memories now and so whenever i play wow again and i pull those memories out and load them in with my new memories and then i put them back like they're gross everything feels gross so <laughs> i kind of get it I feel like game companies need to be very, very cognizant of the fact that they're entertainment companies and very, very cognizant of the fact that public perception will have a humongous effect on their ability to sell games and how their games are going to be perceived. And you can't 
allow for situations where things outside of the game are going to affect people's perception of the game. In my humble opinion, that means, you know, maybe not having a bunch of skeletons in your closet. What? Maybe cutting these problems off before they ever start. If you are noticing that there's some sort of weird boyish man culture going on in your company, stop it. Stop it now. Immediately. Don't wait. Don't wait until you're in trouble. I don't know how we got onto this, but I don't regret it because I feel very strongly about all these things. So, so there you go. The moral is be sensitive to how your fans might perceive your game because it can create a lot of negative connotations that can make them have really bad memories about your game and perceive it poorly for the rest of their uh, mortal existence. And then they'll never buy your game and they might not buy your next game. So, you know, if you want people to buy your games, only offend them when it really makes sense. <laughs> that's, that's the TLDR, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any thoughts on any of this, though? What is this? Uh, just, you know, this podcast in general, <laughs> life. No. Yeah. I think we can, we can wrap that up, though, with uh, saying that KSP is the best game there's ever been, and I'm glad you agree. Yes, I love... <laughs> Cripple <laughs> space program. It's like, yes, yes. Did you ever play the science? I didn't. I keep. I when like. Days. There's so many things that are on my list of to play, and then I just wind up not. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, but uh, yeah, we'll get on that. I think uh, we need to both play troubleshooters. Maybe we'll talk about that more on mm. another day as well. But uh, I think for now, that's probably probably enough. So I think. I think we've had enough talk for today. This is actually probably the longest podcast we've had because it's 2.14 has been recorded on the road, but there was 20 minutes before that. So this is a two and a half hour one, I think. I mean, you're almost reaching an average stream time. Huh? Oh, yeah. True enough. True enough, but we're way past an average podcast. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's fine, but uh, I think we're going to go ahead and uh, call it there. So, anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we got super rambly this time, but hopefully it was still enjoyable. So, from me and from Sedgic over here, who's holding his mic and wondering what on earth is going on, uh, we hope that we will catch you in the next podcast. Bye.